I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. You can call us at 631-672-3108. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, what's going on, man? Well, I'm certainly a lot better than I was on Sunday, to put it that way. Definitely feeling a lot better now. Good energy. And shout out to my grandmother, who turned 80 yesterday, 8-8, 80th birthday. So happy, happy it's late birthday 88. to her. Yes, not 88, 88. But a lot of eights, yes, a lot of eights. Do you want to sing happy birthday to her? Happy birthday. Don't sing, please. All right. <laughs> what do you want to try to scare people away? It's enough right now going into the crazy weekend in sports here in New York and throughout the country with all the crazy stuff that's going on. Um, but there's a lot to get into. At 930, we'll be talking to former NFL receiver, Emmy Award winner for searching for the summit, Mark Patterson. He'll be joining us. And at 10 o'clock, we'll be talking to Cowboy – well – to Cowboys and Suns play-by-play broadcaster, Kevin Ray. He will be joining us as well. Kevin hasn't been on the show for a while. Yeah, he was one of the first guests. Yeah, so, and and Kevin loved to come on our show. We had a little bit of fun with him, the little crazy questions that we asked him. At the uh, time, you were thinking Devin Booker was going to be traded. Now it's a lot different outlook. (laughs) Well, after getting that $200 million contract, after getting the extension that he did, I think worth about one hundred and seventy. million, now he got a $225 million contract. So I don't think Devin Booker is going anywhere. Well, since since the last time we had him on, the Suns have made the NBA Finals and had a 66-win season. (laughs) 66-win season and got knocked off by the Dallas Mavericks. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful for the great Phoenix sons. Anyways, um, uh, what we're going to get into is Kevin Durant tells the Nets either fire Sean Marks and Steve Nash or trade me. So Kevin Durant making demands, not surprising at all. Um, Makai Beckham gets hurt again. Uh, He is out for the season on the IR or the IL, whatever you want to call it, injured reserve. So the New York Jets will be looking for another right tackle. So that'll be interesting. Raekwon Smith demands a trade from the Bears. Well, obviously he sees the team being that bad, so why not? Um, The Knicks looking to facilitate a three-way trade with the Jazz and Lakers involving Donovan Mitchell and Russell Westbrook. Uh, uh, We'll see what happens with that. 
Uh, the Yankees lose Matt Carpenter with a foot fracture, continues to struggle with injuries. That would be the Yankees. So, uh, But Giancarlo's on his way back. Rizzo should be back soon. So um, losing Carpenter is a significant loss because he was one of the hotter hitters for the New York Yankees. So, uh, But we'll see. He, he says he's going to play again this year. So he, he probably will be back by the end of the season if he does play. Um, Chris Sale breaks his wrist in biking accident, likely done for the season. So good luck to the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. Anyways. So uh, why don't we get into Makai Beckham? Because it seems like Makai is <sighs> Makai is out. And if you're a New York Jet fan sitting here today, and you're wondering, well, what are the New York Jets going to do at right tackle? Well, they've got quite a few options. And the one option was at, on the on the day, well, the day after Makai Beckham gets hurt. Well, before Makai Beckham gets hurt, uh, they invited Dwayne uh, Dwayne Brown to come to the uh, white and green uh, event that the Jets hold every single year. I know a lot of people that went there, including yes, Jake Asman. <laughs> he w- he was there. So, uh, but um, Dwayne Brown actually came and and, and actually looked. And, and checked out the New York Jets as a whole over there in their white and green competition or whatever practice. So I believe by the end of the week, Dwayne Brown will be signed by the New York Jets. I, I think that that's where, that's where the Jets were looking at, and they were trying to bring in a backup to the right tackle position because they were not sure if Font or Mekhi Beckton was going to stay healthy. Uh, they lost a couple of tackles really early uh, in the beginning of the, this process. So uh, they lost uh, Max Mitchell, who is their young rookie that they drafted in the fourth round. He could be back sometime early this season, but uh, losing him was a significant loss because he's going to have no OTAs. He's going to have no practices or preseason. So that's going to hurt the kid in his development. Losing Makai Beckham is a significant loss after losing McDermott for a certain amount of time. I think McDermott can miss uh, a piece of the season as well. So the Jets have lost three bona fide tackles before even preseason started. And this is the same thing that happened to the Jets last year when they lost Carl Lawson before anything started. Now, it isn't the left tackle position. It isn't George Font. Now, George Font had a sensational year. He's one of the, one of the top 12 tackles in all of football. He has so far stayed healthy. He lost a little bit of weight. He looks pretty damn good. But losing a right tackle of this magnitude, especially rebuilding this offensive line that the way the Jets did in the offseason, adding Lankin Tomlinson. Uh, obviously, Elijah Varitaka played sensational last year, especially in the second half. And McGovern coming back, who has been injury-prone for the New York Jets since he's come to the team. I think that when you're sitting here today, a lot of Jeff fans are thinking, is this the end of Makai Beckham? Is this the end of his era of the big ticket? My answer would be no. And the reason why I don't believe Makai Beckham is going to be gone is because the Jets still have control of him for the next two years. And when you think of that, especially with the injuries he's had, in two years from now, 
even if he stays healthy next year, nobody is going to give him a long-term extension. Nobody's going to give him $20 million or $25 million a year. So the Jets, if Mekhi Beckham shows the Jets next year that he's healthy, he's lost weight, he looks good, the Jets could sign him on the cheap. So does this benefit the Jets? Only time will tell. But there's no way the Jets are going to just drop a first-round number 11 pick a couple of years ago because of an injury. We sit here today, and we have seen this before with the New York Jets. The Jets have lost quality players over the years, which has cost the Jets possibly an eight or nine win season. Now, Mekhi Beckham is a right tackle. It is an important position. It's, is it as important as the left tackle position or a pass rushing position or even a star corner position? The answer would be no. But to sit here today and say, well, the Jets are still in good shape. Well, then you guys are imagining something of a fairy tale. Now, is Dwayne Brown the answer? He's 37 years old. He was a pro ball player last year for Seattle. He has been a pro ball player in his career. At least, I think, four or five times. Mm-hmm. Could be a borderline Hall of Famer. But he's 37 years old. And last year, he played the left tackle position for Seattle. Moving to the right tackle position, I think he can figure out. It's still a significant move for him. And going to an offensive line that has some youngsters and some veterans. Really, only, I think, one one youngster now. Elijah Vera Tucker. McGovern's a veteran. Lincoln Tomlinson's an, uh, a veteran. Font is a veteran. So if he goes over there, there's just really one rookie or one second-year player on that line, which is an extraordinary guard for the New York Jets. But losing Mekhi Beckham, no Jet fan can sit here today and say, this is a good thing. Now, I listened to what CJ said on Weapons Hot. I've listened to plenty of people talk about Mekhi Beckham, how this was his year. I was one of them. That this was going to be a year where we're going to see the big ticket back into the games, show up in the games, play hard in the games, And moving him to the right tackle position was only going to make him better. Now losing him for back-to-back seasons is a significant loss. And we all know that Robert Sala and his coaching staff weren't big fans of Makai. They weren't. A matter of fact, they were thinking about, at the fourth pick, drafting an offensive tackle. But they didn't. They trusted that George Font was going to move to the left tackle position, and they believed that Mekhi Beckham was going to fit over there at the right tackle position. He was going to play well this year. So is this the end of the season for the New York Jets? My answer is no. It's not Carl Lawson. I knew when the Jets lost Carl Lawson last year, and that was their big acquisition. Everything that we read about Carl Lawson in, in, in obviously, OTAs and how fast he was and how good he looked, Losing him so early before the preseason was a significant, huge loss. But right now, I think the Jets are still 
capable of winning eight or nine games, even without Makai Speedy. Short term, they have the time now to be able to maneuver the depth. Dwayne Brown is the start of it, and you're right, five-time Pro Bowl player. He's been mostly a left tackle in his career, but I don't think he'll have any trouble transferring to right tackle if that's the case. And Font's also played right tackle, too, so if Brown wants to play left tackle, if they think he works better there, it might be good. Long-term is where is definitely concerning for somebody of Mekhi Becton's body type, because you remember, out of the draft, we were all saying Mekhi Becton was a great prospect because of his speed for his size, too. The way he moved, the way he ran for his size, too. And maybe all those, the way he's being used got caught up to him for somebody of his size. Now, multiple knee injuries. He also had a foot injury in his career now. Somebody with that kind of, they want to use for that kind of movement, it might be harder for them down the road. Now, I'm with you. I don't think they should just pull the plug on Mekhi Becton, but it might come to the point where they might have to use him more as a guard rather than a tackle because you don't have to move around as much too. And also something worth experimenting. How are they going to move him? How are they going to move him? You have now Lincoln Tomlinson, who's there for four years. And now you also have Elijah Vera Tucker, who he's your young player. You don't want to projectively move him to the right tackle position because he is so comfortable playing that right guard position or left guard position. So you don't want to shift him. So why would you do that? It, it, it doesn't make sense why you would put Makai as a guard. It doesn't make sense. I just so, worry. I just worry with the movement, how he'll come back. If he doesn't come back and not able to move the same for his size, because you lose a lot of speed when you have all those leg injuries too. It, it's a brutal position to play and attack. Well, he's the right tackle. He's not the left tackle. Fair, but also keep in mind that that scheme has a lot of outside zone stuff. Uh, with Mike LaFleur, that Kyle Shanahan type offense. And that was a big reason that Makai Becton was supposed to take that big leap because it fit what he does very well. So I don't know if he brings that same kind of thing. I also think, though, too, it doesn't hurt to try it now. Elijah Vera Tucker is another guy that moves very well. Why not try him as a tackle either? I don't think it hurts to try it now, younger in his development, rather than forcing it on him later in the season. I think you trust the fact that that kid understands where he is and what his role is as a Jet. And I would not shift him to the right tackle position. I think you bring in a veteran tackle that can help the line out automatically. Because right now, you put Elijah Vera Tucker there, you're going to have those games where he doesn't know the position, he doesn't know where to be at the position, which could cause problems and could cause your quarterback to get hurt. You cannot put the Jets or their quarterback in position to get hurt, especially early in the season. So I would not do that. I would keep Elijah Vera Tucker where he is, bring in a veteran tackle, let the veteran tackle take over the season, and then decide what you're doing with Makai. And Jeff says Becton is the biggest problem. His biggest problem is his weight. Being that he's heavy, puts too much stress on his knees. It's why Tyler always <laughs> sits down. That's what he says. Well, yeah, that's what I was saying because – Becton moved around so well for his height in his rookie season. That's why he was so good. He was a Pro Bowl-level type player his rookie season, but since then has had trouble with, the, with those injuries, multiple knee injuries and, then, and a foot injury too. So I, I worry about him long-term, about what he'll end up coming back as. And that's why I'm saying his best track to even just stay on the team might just be as a guard. And again, I, Dwayne Brown is probably going to be the short-term solution as a right tackle because you're right, Max Mitchell, undisclosed injury. He got hurt, and Connor McDermott's probably going to miss a couple weeks. So it's going to be hard for him to work into the starting lineup. So Brown likely is going to be that, along with Vera Tucker and Tomlinson. They might even bring another person, another tackle as well. It might not just be Dwayne Brown. There's a couple of tackles that could become available. Um, Obviously, as as the preseason keeps on going, there's going to be players dropped. Uh, Significant players. There could be good tackles that could become available. So the Jets have to be careful on what they give Dwayne Brown. 
because Dwayne Brown's only going to get a year contract, but also you want to break, make sure that you can possibly bring in a tackle maybe for one or even two years where it doesn't affect your salary cap next year when you're looking for free agents. So that's going to be something that the Jets are going to have to look at because you don't want to put them in position where they could fail in the future. Uh, it won't matter who they get replaced Becton. It's still the Jets. And, and whatever. It, yeah, it's maybe not that's the, true. It's not going to be the same level as what Becton would have brought if he was healthy. But again, they still want something that is going to be serviceable for a starting right tackle because they got three spots on that line that are good. And George Font, if he plays as well as he did last year, it's I think they have four. I think McGovern, McGovern was one of the top. 10 centers in in football. I like, Mc, I like McGovern, too. He's kind of streaky throughout his career. but He can't stay healthy. Yeah. That, but but he, when he is in, he's a top 10 center. So he's, he's a quality player. Lincoln Tomlinson is a quality player. George Font proved that he was a quality player, a top 11 tackle in the league. And Austin Vera Tucker, I mean, Elijah Vera Tucker, was one of the best guards in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. So you got four positions. Now, at that fifth position... They were they were squeezing Becton in there because they thought that he would become a top end right tackle. But now losing him, you bring in a Dwayne Brown. Dwayne Brown was a Pro Bowl player last year, and he's I think a four or five time Pro Bowler in a career. Five time in his career, yeah. Yeah, so he is a quality tackle, and it's only really it's it's a band aid. That's what it is. Right. Dwayne Brown will be a band aid for the Jets this year, and I believe putting a veteran in that position. For Zach Wilson, will only give him an understanding of what the position holds and where he needs to stay. You know where he needs to be on the strengths of his tackles. Because to me, you're as good as your tackles as a quarterback in this league. If your tackles are quality and they can block for you, you're going to be able to make plays in the open field. They're going to give you time to make plays in the open field. Carl says stankies. Snug says is butt fumbling an option for the Jets at right tackle. Carl says they don't have a lot of good options, but yes, options. Yeah, but they do have depth though, Carl. That's they and they have time to figure it out now. <laughs> Snug says is EJ Perry eligible to play right tackle. Uh, the Jets need to consult with Kenny. He'll know what to do, or maybe Lyle. Please no. <laughs> yeah, that definitely would work, especially if what Kenny was drinking. Uh, what Kenny was smoking last week. Uh, Snug says if he's on the cheap, who then knows what no he was drinking him. either? He says it was water. But. Allegedly, but yeah, I don't know about that either. Uh, Snuck says he, he's, if he's on the cheap, that means no one wants him, right? No, that means he's 37 years old, and he's nobody's going to give him a long-term contract. Snuck. And first of all, if, if, if you know what's going on with Dwayne Brown, he visited not one, not two, but three different camps. Three different teams actually invited him to camp. He is going to make his decision on where he wants to play this year. Now, he, he might decide to go somewhere else. He might might decide to play in the other two camps that he went to visit. But the Jets invited him to the, the white and green uh, practice, and everything that we've read is that he was very happy what he saw on the field. So it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It's going to take Dwayne Brown an understanding on how this, wor- this offensive line is going to work. Remember, all offseason, the offensive linemen stay in touch. These, it's like a family. Mm-hmm. Being an offensive lineman, you have to know every position, every understanding of what these guys are thinking when that ball gets brought out to the quarterback. So, again, it's probably the, the offensive line is the most important part of your offense. 
and probably your most important part of your team. And now you're adding a piece to your off- your starting offensive line, your starting rotation, and you don't know what to expect. Now, uh, John Suggs, what, what are my thoughts to the whole Becton thing? I don't think the Jets are screwed. I don't. Do I think Becton is going to get traded or he's going to be dropped at the end of next season or this season? No. The Jets have control of him for the next two years. Why would they do that? It doesn't make sense. You're paying him pennies. Why would you get rid of him? Yeah, no reason to sell him. There's no reason. And you know Joe Douglas is never going to give up a first-round draft pick that he drafted in his first draft. He's not going to do that. He's going to hold on to him. I do not believe he's going to put him at the guard position like Speedy says. I think eventually they're going to try to put him back there at the right tackle position. If he gets hurt again, he's done. His career's over. Nobody's going to bring him back. This is the same knee he hurt last year, just a different injury. So he's lost. He's practically hurt every single ligament in his knee. It's all reconstructed now. He needs to lose weight. After this surgery, this season, he's going to have to lose a significant amount of weight. I'm talking probably 60, 70 pounds to take the weight off his knees. Because being an offensive lineman, being a tackle, you have to have quick feet. Your feet have to be fast. You have to be able to shift your legs in a certain position, being that you're a 300-pound man. So Becton's going to have to figure out who he is as a player and what he's going to be as a player for the New York Jets. And no, I don't care what Becton's agent is saying and what his team is saying. It doesn't matter. Becton needs to figure out who he is as a player. And if he wants to play in this league and he wants a long career, he needs to figure out how to lose weight. John says he's going to balloon back to 400 pounds with him with the hurt knee. That's not necessarily true. He could diet. Right. He could diet. Now, the Jets have their own chefs. If I were the New York Jets going into this knee injury, I would send him his own chef and make sure that he is eating properly when he is as they reconstruct his knee. Because you do not want him to go back to 400 pounds and he's going to have to lose 50, 60, 70 pounds, you know, in in, in a 3-month span. He has to he has to go on a diet, a significant diet. And the New York Jets need to be on top of him now and do not wait till after. It would be a big mistake. Carl says, I'm praying Roquan Smith does not go to the Jets. Promising career would drop. Jeff thinks he is going to Atlanta. Carl says, yeah, Ryan Pace will work out a deal for him. Uh, Snug says, the Jets are the Bermuda Triangle of football, and only under Adam Gase understands it. Uh, Snug says, maybe have Zach Wilson to right tackle and bring back Sam Darnold. Mm. Um, Jeff says, terrible take, Speedy. I love you, but that's ridiculous. Snug says, it's kind of cruel. The Jets keep drafting kids and injuring them. Uh, Snug says, Kenny must Snug said that? Uh, yes. The Jets keep drafting kids and injuring them. Uh, Snug says if he was smart, he would sign with the Cowboys, win three Super Bowls, and play with Mike Snake. says there was a big tragedy today. What happened today? What Ooh. was the big tragedy? All right, Beav, you're going to have to fill us in What was that. the big tragedy today? Uh, Jeff says, is he being traded to New Orleans, or does that mean they're just both fat? Uh, the Saints don't need a tackle. They drafted one. He's just messing around with the Zion Williamson thing. That's oh, I, I didn't see that one, yeah. <laughs> he's just being a smartass. That's what he is. He's a smartass. But, yeah, John, we, we're mentioning this with the diet, too. Like, 
the Jets were going to probably have him diet anyway, regardless of the injury, just because of the potential weight concerns, even if he didn't have this injury. Because remember, this was a second injury as well, not the injury that he had last year that kept him out all but uh, all but 50, all but one game. Uh, all right, let, let's get to Beav on as quick because we got a guest coming on. Beav, what's going on, man? What's up, bro? How are you? We're good, man. What bro, happened? What happened? I'm disgusted today. What Absolutely happened? Disgusted. They named Jacob Trooper the captain, obviously. It's a tragedy for the New York Rangers that they named this guy the captain of the team. That's the it's tragedy? I thought somebody died. Yeah, really. You made that seem no. a lot worse than it was. It is the worst. It, 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 it's horrible. That guy should not be the captain of the New York Rangers. I'm Honestly, sorry. it doesn't matter who the captain is, is, is with that team. It, it doesn't make any logical sense to me. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. How many captains have we seen the, the, the Rangers have in the last, I don't know, 12 years? They've had like four, right? I, I know, but still. It should, it should be Kreider. He's the heart and soul of that team. Well, maybe they think that Kreider won't be a Ranger that long. Remember, Kreider is 31, going to be 32 before the season starts. Maybe they decide, yeah. you know what? You know, after this year, they're going to move him. If he has another good season like he did last year, I would have moved him this offseason because you would have gotten a boatload of players for him. Now, if he has like a 30-goal or a 25-goal season, they're they're not going to get as much for him. So, listen, I I don't know what's going to happen. but He's been there there since day one. He's been there through the rebuild and everything else, and now you're, gonna, you're not going to give this guy the captain? doesn't make any sense. I don't think it matters who the captain is when it comes to hockey. It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter yeah, when it comes I, to hockey. I'm just know. telling you, you the truth. You, you need leadership and you need somebody, and I don't know, Kreider to me seems like Okay, let me ask you a question. Have you, have you ever played ice hockey before? No. Okay. Have you ever played on a hockey team before? No. Okay. Never played hockey. I, I did. Okay, and, and I was the captain of my team, and I was the assistant captain on many different teams. And hockey, the only time the captain usually speaks to the team is either before the game or during periods. And usually it's the coach speaking, you know, telling him, telling him what kind of play he wants to run and how he wants to run it, you know, d- during each period, offensively and defensively. So... Honestly, when when you sit here and you you who's who's calling right now? Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you both on. Who the heck is this, Kenny? What's going on? What's happening, man? Who is this? Who are we speaking to? You're speaking to me, Kenny. Oh, Kenny, God. the star of the show on Thursday. <laughs> there he is, Kenny. What's going on, man? We got what's a guest happening? coming on. We have a guest, literally, that's gonna come. You want to call? Minute, you want to so call, call after? Okay, yeah. I'll call back at about 10.30, Kenny. I, okay, call back in one hour, you're saying? Yes, Fine with me. I'll still be up. Oh, look at that, Kenny. Just don't drink and don't smoke. Okay? <laughs> we need you to be. I've already smoked, so oh, I'll ah, energy in one hour. Wonderful. Wax man himself, Kenny. Uh... <laughs> uh, we can talk about the interview. Yeah, we'll I'm talk sure about it. will right. be a good one. All right, Kenny. Thank you. I'll call you in one hour. All right, Kenny. All right, goodbye. <laughs> that guy is a that guy's a funny guy, man. He's a piece of work. Oh my god. Anyways, keep listening, Beef. We'll talk well, to you soon. 
You got it, but it's a big tragedy for New York Rangers. It's not a tragedy. The Beav and Kenny, ladies and gentlemen, when we come back, we'll be talking to the former receiver, Emmy Award winner for searching for the summit, Mark Patterson, here on the Sports Loudmouse. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouse. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. Remember, you're listening to the Sports Loudmouths. We are live every single Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, we were talking about the Jets, so why not get into some football conversation with an ex-NFL player. We are now talking to former NFL receiver, Emmy Award winner for searching for the summit, Mark Patterson. Mark, what's going on, bud? How you doing? Hey, let me ask you this, guys. Where is this show being broadcast? I assume it's the East Coast, correct? It is New York, my friend, Long Island, New York. Uh, oh, I love that, love that, love that your number one fan, Kenny's out there on standby, ready to jump in when you guys let him in. Well, yeah. he, he's he's ready to drink, he's ready to smoke, he's ready to chase geese into the water. So Love it, love yeah. it, love it. Wow. I, I was back in New York in, in May for oh. the uh, Emmy Award winning show, or the Emmys, and you know that's when the Searching for the Summer, we won the best picture for my Everest climb, and and so loved the energy. It was great to be traveling here, and it was great to be back in, in New York City and feeling that energy, like I said, with all the people cruising down the street and going mm-hmm. cuckoo. So loved it. Loved it when I was out there. You know, I've been to the Sports Emmy Awards, and yeah. I, I didn't go to the Emmy Awards last year, but... Um, I experienced it. It's it's wonderful. You you meet so many people at those award shows. Uh, uh, the time that I went there, I met Michael Strahan and Alex Rodriguez, and uh, they were some of the hosts of the show. So it was fun, and you, you get to meet different analysts and sports guys at those you know industry uh, events. But I, when I heard that we were getting you on, we were very excited. By the way, so. Uh, we are talking still to the former NFL receiver, former NFL receiver, and Emmy Award winner for searching for the summit, Mark Patterson. So, Mark, tell us a little bit about your climbing. You know, over the years. I mean, obviously Everest. I never, ever did that. That is scary. People have died on Mount Everest. Yeah. What was it like climbing Mount Everest? What was it like doing? Uh, you know, obviously a, 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 a story of searching the summit. Yeah, well, let's back it just a little, just a little bit, you know. So I did play in the NFL mm-hmm. uh, for five years, mm-hmm. and you know, very blessed and grateful to have just had my time there. Everybody has a different trajectory, and that was mine. And then, you know, life happened, and had kids, and got married, and did all those things. About ten years ago, going through a rough patch in my life. It, but at the end of the day, we all go through rough patches, and if you haven't, you know, it's coming, right? So I set out at that time to kind of pull myself out of it, set set up a big ass goal. And I said, I want to become the first NFL player to climb the seven summits. And so the seven summits, for those of you who, who don't know, um, are the highest uh, mountain on each continent. Obviously, we have seven continents. And so, you know, around the globe, I went. It took me almost 10 years to complete that. And so the last one, of course, was Mount Everest. Um, the way that I originally designed this to go was it, uh, it was by difficulty and experience and, and learning the ropes and learning how to 
um, use my crampons and ice axe and scale up on lines and go over crevasses and fall into them and get out of them and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, after 10 years, after climbing literally hundreds and hundreds of mountains, not just the seven, of course, but, you know, all the ones I was training on, um, I finally was ready to take on Mount Everest uh, in 2020. And as we all know, it was March 2020 when I had actually driven out from Sun Valley, Idaho, where I lived, to, uh, to uh, L.A., where I was going to launch uh, at the end of March. And about mid-March is when COVID hit. And that's where, if, you, if we all go back there and think about it, that's where, you know, every day it got exponentially more crazy. People mm. were dying. We didn't have a vaccine. We didn't know what it was, how we're going to fix this, all these restaurants and shops, everything else started shutting down. And so... Uh, that got pushed out a year and things always happen for a reason. I'm convinced um, in January of 2021, um, I got a call from the NFL and they said, hey, we really want to do a story on your Everest ascent and, and cover that. And originally, the, the idea was to cover this. It was going to be five to seven minutes. This was going to be done by NFL 360. And they flew over here to Sun Valley and they they got very involved. They're interviewing myself. They're with Jim Mora, my best friend, who was training with me at the time. Now he's the head coach at UConn. Um, and up and down we went, and they started into this project. And by the end of the whole project, you know, it ended up being a full uh, documentary, 30 minutes, you mm -hmm. know, for NFL, which is how they slot those things in on their uh, show, NFL 360. And uh, so anyways, you know, I had no clue when I was climbing, when we were shooting the movie, I did most of the filming up in the mountain because the NFL security had blocked them from coming to um, Mount Everest because there was a huge COVID outbreak. And so that was shut down. I had no clue that when they put the whole film together, that it would turn out like it did. They called it Searching for the Summit. And somebody in that whole organization submitted it for a Emmy. And I thought that was super cool. We were nominated for Best Picture and Best Cinematography, which is cool because I did a lot of that, that, that shooting on the mountain. And then we get there and, and you know, I'm, I'm hanging out with Mike Tirico and Bob Costas and all those guys, you know, you were just talking about, mm -hmm. wow. you know, all the different connections that were there. I'm, and the way that the whole configuration was, I didn't get an invite to go there until kind of a few days before because they didn't have a seat because there was all this demand for the last couple of years because of COVID. And so I'm sitting up at the front and Mike Tirico gets up there and he goes, I can't believe it. Searching for the summit, NFL 360, you guys are on a roll. That was the fourth one that we won that night. And I got up there, I'm standing on stage by myself, you know, and tell the other guys, the producers and everybody else. It was just amazing to be, you know, again, in front of Bob Costas and Leslie Visser and all these, these people for years and years and years I've seen up on stage. And, uh, you know, I was there collecting probably the biggest prize there is of the night. You know, of course, there's editing and sound and they're all important and they're all matter. Mm. But to get the best picture is pretty damn cool. And so I've got a big ass statue of the Emmy coming my way here pretty soon. Awesome. Congratulations on that. Absolutely. All, all the feats, everything with the seven summits. That's amazing. Your whole career, too, I, yeah. as an NFL player, five years is still a long time in the NFL. An average NFL player only plays three years. You played five. So, yeah. Let me, I, I want to go back and address something else mm -hmm. that you said, too, because this is one of the crazy things. I mean, we can go as deep as you want to go on, on Mount Everest, but in 2019, I was in Antarctica. Like, who goes to Antarctica, mm -hmm. right, except for Penguins? And so I'm down there and there's a mountain called Mount Vincent and Vincent is the highest point on uh, Antarctica. It's just crazy. Like just the adventure of getting there is a, a whole nother story, but there's a guy that was my tent mate and my hotel mate when we first landed in Chile 
this place called Punta Arenas was where we took a plane from point A to point B to land on the ice in Antarctica. We got to know each other. We were, you know, tent mates, like I said, for three weeks and climbed the mountain and got down. And, and during that time on that, on that climb, you know, he wasn't very strong and he struggled a lot. But at the end of the day, he did make it. So congrats on that. Three months later, he was going to go from, you know, he was going to fly back to his home, hometown in Salt Lake City and then go from, from Salt Lake City over to Everest and take that on. He went with a low-cost carrier expedition team, you know, over there. He got up there. He was there two months, just like I was. And he ended up getting to the top, raised his hand straight in the air, fell over and died. And when Sorry I was making my final Sorry. ascent on that day, May 23rd, 2021, you know, I had to step over Don Cash. And, you know, if that's not just a crazy, eerie thing to be thinking about, because, you know, all these competitive things that we do, you know, you go play hoops. It really doesn't matter what level you play. You're pretty much not going to die, you know, mm -hmm. on a football field and things like that. And to be stepping over dead bodies, not just him. There was other guys, too. I had another guy at yeah, 26,500 feet, Camp 4, a uh, dead guy lay, laying six feet from me. Yeah, it's just a weird mindset that you have to put your, your mind into so that you don't freak out so much about that moment, dead people laying around. And you just got to, like, focus on the task at hand to get you to the top and back down safely. It's a very dangerous environment. And I'm very lucky that I'm sitting here today talking to you guys. Within the seven summits, I know you're talking about Everest specifically just now, but was what was the most unique thing you encountered? Like just judging all the different mountains, all different parts of the world, geographic diversity that it could be. Did that contribute to maybe why it was more of a challenge than the others? Any one of the seven? Well, I, I, it's a really good question. And, you know, the, the, the kind of the net net is this, is that Everest is exponentially way more difficult. Now, number two on the list is Denali, and that's tough, too. It took me 21 days to get up and down that mountain. Actually, I'd been up there in 2017. I summited in 2018. And on 2017, we ran into minus 80 degree weather. You know, if you can appreciate being up in Alaska and, and that Arctic swirl that gets going around and we're up there in May and it just gets so unbelievably cold and storms that come in. But at the end of the day, you know, 21 days is a pretty short time. I mean, we got, we got locked down and it was, it wasn't fun. And we had to carry 137 pounds on our back to get up just in position to try to make it to the summit. We didn't make that happen in 2017 and 2018. We had bluebird day all the way. It was still cold, but we made it. And there's, you know, there's challenging things. There's an ice wall that's 800 feet that you got to climb up. You got to climb over this big crevasse to get into that. Um, and then you're on a fixed line to get, you know, through that 800 feet. It's extremely steep. And there's a lot of people that die up there. But when you go to Mount Everest, you're talking about two months of suffering, you know, and that's number one, what makes it unique um, when we're talking about big mountain expeditions. Uh, number two, you got to think about you're not, you know, coming back and like Kenny having a drink and a, a smoke, <laughs> you know, you're, 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 it's, it's freeze dried food. You know, it's a, it's a tough way to, 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 to live and survive on food, types of foods that you're not used to, to eating and consuming and trying to keep up the calories, considering how many calories you're burning. You guys are on Long Island right, right now. And, you know, you guys are at, 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 you know, in terms of, of elevation you're at like zero feet right now right? <laughs> right imagine this if you guys look straight up in the sky and i'm addressing kenny when i say that um 17, feet think about that living at 17,500 feet for two months mm -hmm. you know and so a lot of people um have this this there's a there's a there's a brain and also a lung um issue uh pulmonary edema and cerebral edema mm -hmm. where people's, you know, there's not enough oxygen that's going to the brain and people shut down and we were flying people off left and right. And then you got to contend with the Kumba icefall. 
And that's basically a 2000 foot straight up frozen glacier of about 30 foot ice columns that are collapsing every day. I went through that thing five times, up and down, up and down, up and down over those two months. Um, there's not one time, not one time that I took the same route. Every single time we had to go through a different route because the routes that they had set all collapsed. You're going down crevasses, you're coming wow. back out, you're going up these huge ice walls. Um, you know, there's avalanches coming down on you every single day. The weather is very unpredictable. And then, and then you, you, you know, you make it to that next camp up there, camp one, camp two. Now you're kind of in that zone where it's relatively safe, but now you're still at 22,000, 23,000 feet. And then you got to go climb the Lhotse face. And if you can imagine an ice rank, and if you could tilt it 45 degrees. And on the last rotation that we went in route to the top, we got caught in a cyclone for three days. So imagine being on a 45 degrees ice slope in a tent for three days in a cyclone, couldn't get out of your tent, couldn't get out of your sleeping bag. I mean, it was terrifying. So there's just all these things that added into it just because, you know, it's such an extreme environment. And then when you get up to the top, that's where the jet stream uh, goes mm -hmm. or flies, you know, at 26,500 feet. And two weeks during the fall, two weeks during the, the, the springtime, the jet stream rises above 26,000 feet, actually rises above 29,000 feet at the top. Theoretically, it's not exact. It might be a day. It might be 10 days. It might be two days and then skip and then come back down. And, and it's all over the board like it was for us. And, you know, coming out of the cyclone and then making a, a ditch for the for the top and dealing with all the, the, the altitude. And now you're breathing oxygen mass like you see um, astronauts or something. It's just a whole exponential different level that you got to deal with and contend. As everybody knows, we are talking to former NFL receiver, Emmy Award winner for searching for the summit, Mark Patterson. Mark, obviously you trained as an NFL player, and it, it, it takes a lot out of your body. It, it, it's, it, it's a physical training, uh, mental training. What is it like training for the NFL and training to get on a football field? And what was it like training and getting ready to climb a big mountain? Well, that's a great question. You guys are firing off great questions, and I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, one of the things that I learned a lot from is my head coach, Don James. For those that don't remember Don James, he was a coach at Washington where I played, and he had come up or, or adapted a version that John Wooden, the famous basketball coach down at UCLA, had um, called the Pyramid of Success. And, and really, all things that I've done in life, you know, from the NFL to climbing mountains to making this film to being an executive at Sports Illustrated – it all has the same pattern and there's basically 25 different building blocks. And if you don't take care of each one of these building blocks, getting bigger, getting faster, getting stronger, studying film, staying in class, doing all the types of things on the mountain, learning how to use your ice axe and put on crampons and the different kind of outfits and how to eat and how to, to hydrate yourself. There's all these different things in there at the very top of that rung is competitive greatness. And, and, you know, you've got levels like Michael Jordan, which are the ultimate example of competitive greatness, right? And, 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 but the bottom line, what that really means is that you love the process. And that number one element in all these things that you have to do is love the process. The major difference, and there's a lot of similar similarities between the NFL and climbing mountains, but you got to get vertical. There's just no substitute. So what I was doing is I lived in Manhattan Beach, California, mm. right, at the time, five years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just like Long Beach, beautiful beaches, right along, you know, it's, it's elevation zero. And, and uh, I decided to move my entire life over to Sun Valley, Idaho. We live at 6,000 feet. Every single day I go up in the mountain, every single day. I climbed 1,800 feet today. 
and just straight up. I'm training for more mountains coming up. We can talk about those later, but you know, it, what, what I think one of the things that, that, you know, when you're, especially for me as a, as a receiver in the NFL, a lot of my game was burst and sprints and, and route running and those types of things. And you're not going straight uphill. And with, when you're climbing these mountains, that's what you're doing. And people that have an experience that they can just seriously hurt, um, you know, from their, their hamstrings and their quads when they're going up or coming back down. And that can a lot of times make the difference between failure and success. So in the mountains that you've climbed in the seven summits, what about the other surrounding areas within those countries? Was there any country or even city about that that stood out with the geographic or anything like that away from the mountain? Yeah, I mean, each one is amazing. You know, I mean, I, I would think in, in relative to that question in today's um, environment, the highest mountain, ironically, in Europe is in Russia. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, who goes to Russia? Um, I did. I, you know, I was in Moscow. I was in Leningrad. And when we finally got kind of a planes, trans, and automobiles down the Caucasus Mountains to climb this mountain called Mel Elbrus, it sits next to this this other country called Georgia. And when we were there, uh, there had been a, a sh- the, the the Russians had shot down a plane or something from Georgia, and there's all this high tension and conflict, and there's there's all these soldiers running around with machine guns, and we were told not to go too close to the border and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, when you're in these other countries, you got to beware, but you know, another country that I absolutely fell in love with, with was Argentina. The highest mountain in South America is a mountain called Aconcagua, 23,000 feet. And a town called Mendoza. And I didn't know this at the time, but Mendoza <laughs> is where they make all the Malbec wines. Mm-hmm. Oh. And, you know, so it, it's cheap, too. So, you know, we had a lot of time, <laughs> good time partaking and drinking. You should have brought uh, Kenny. Little, you should have brought Kenny. You know, Kenny would have been my wingman on the way down there, man. He would have been, he would have fit right in. But it's a town kind of like, uh, well, it's much bigger than Napa, but it's it's in that vein, you know, of all these different vineyards and things like that. But it's just, it's, it's just a great way to travel the world and see it in a way that, you know, normally you wouldn't do those types of things. As everybody knows, we are talking to former NFL receiver, Emmy Award winner for searching for the summit, Mark Patterson. You know, Mark, when we watch the game of football, it, it's so intense. It's mental. It's abusive to the body. And that's why they say only an NFL player lasts for three years. And if you're lucky, uh, you play a little bit longer than that. When you look at the game today, more than it was when you played, what is different that you have seen from when you were playing? Well, I, I think there's less physicality. I mean, certainly there's there's incredible hits and everything else, but the, the referees and the rules of the game now are really, really protecting guys like me, the receivers coming across the center. Safeties like Ronnie Lott just can't tee up against you and knock you out like they used to do. And if you take any kind of hit to the head, you know, the flight comes out. And you see this time and again. Then you take a look at the quarterback. Guys like Tom Brady has probably had a major effect on his career, the longevity. Drew Brees, for, for, from the standpoint of those guys not um, being able to be hit, you know, once they release the ball and they're really, you know, on it in terms of blowing the whistle and things like that. I think in a lot of ways it was more violent back in the day. Um, maybe the players today are a little faster and stronger and, and bigger. They seem to be. But violence is violence and hits are hits. And it's just, you know, I mean, it didn't it, – it was a normal day with the Raiders every day in camp for a brawl to take brace. I mean, that was just, that was just like going and getting some water, you know, people fighting. It's just the way it is. And they, they seem like they really hold that back now. And the kickoffs are, are structured now where there's not nearly as much, you know, violence 
and, and high intensity hits running down because most of the, most of the kickers, they've moved it up a little bit. So most of the kicks are going out of the end zone and things like that. So, you know, it's still a brutal sport. Um, those guys are intense. They're playing the game the way the game is intended to be played, but with all these different injuries, especially with the CTE stuff going on in the NFL, they've had to throttle back and try to protect those guys a lot more. Mm. So either NFL or in college as well, do you have a favorite football moment in your career? Oh man, I, I look at, I've got so many, you know, I, I was fortunate to be on the, uh, we, my, my senior year, we were number one in the country most of the year. And late in the season, we lost to USC in a close game. And, and we ended up going to the orange bowl. We were the first PAC 12 team to ever go to the orange bowl. Um, at USC went to the, to the, to the Rose bowl. And uh, we played Oklahoma and this is back when the boss was playing and, and Switzer was the coach and they had all these big characters on the team and <laughs> nobody thought we had a chance. We ended up beating um, Oklahoma. I happened to catch the kind of the winning diving catch in the end zone with a couple, couple minutes to go to take our team ahead. So, you know, certainly, you know, you remember your first play and you remember your last play and I happen to have, you know, a great play then. And then, you know, look at, I, 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 I went from kind of a hardcore, very regimented, very disciplined system at the university of Washington, Don James. And then I go down to the Raiders, you know, it's L Davis. And I was there, I was kind of part of the new blood that came in and, and there was still a lot of those 1983 holdovers um, from the Super Bowl, Marcus Allen, Jim Plunkett, um, uh, Cliff Branch, Matt mm. Millen, Lyle Zeto, Howie Long, um, Lester Hayes. Uh, the list just went on and on. Henry Lawrence. I mean, all these legends. And, you know, every Thursday night they had a, a camaraderie night. And, you know, uh, Kenny would have fit right into that <laughs> as well. Because <laughs> it, was, it was going out, creating a lot of mayhem, a lot of drinking. And, and, you know, that's the way that we bonded back in the day. And it was great. I loved it. You know, and those guys took me in. Hmm. <laughs> Kenny, Kenny does look like the stereotypical drunk Raiders fan. <laughs> he, he looks like the kind of whatever fan would do anything. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, anytime, it, the story that Kenny told us last week, it, he has, he used to do a show and he po- posted it up on YouTube and it got suspended because he recorded himself chasing after geese because they crap or they do all these terrible things, eat your food. So he ran after them into a lake or a pond yeah. after them and tried to grab their feathers. I mean, I, I mean, this I love Kenny. Kenny's in his own little world, but he is unique. Love that. <laughs> we are talking to former NFL receiver and Emmy Award winner for searching for the summit, Mark Patterson. Last question for me, Mark. When you look at everything that's happened in your life, everything has come to then and now. What stood what, what in your career in football? What stood out the most, and what stands out more than ever now that your life being at sixty years old? Well, you know, this is going to sound weird to you, but I don't look at. I know you probably see it differently, but I don't see myself as doing anything special from the standpoint of all these things I've gone after, I've gone after for the right reasons. I love playing football. I love, I was that kid that was a gym rat. Like you talked to any of my buddies from way back when, when I was in eighth grade, I was always in the playground. I was always on that play field. I always had a ball in my hand. I was shooting hoops when nobody was else there. I was always that gym rat, right? 
And, and that just kept accelerating me th through these different levels that I kept going to from high school into college from college into pro. And I just had a relentless mindset to keep going. And then I started mountain climbing and the same thing, you know, rather than look at all seven and being overwhelmed by that, you know, I really focused on, on, on just the one mountain at a time. What do I need to do? And when was that? What are the logistics? How do I get there? How is this going to be different? And then, you know, because the kind of compilation of these different things, then came the film. And, and, you know, with the film, the film, we had executive producers, but again, at the core of it, I was doing what my true love was. I wasn't doing this for a award. I wasn't doing this to, you know, get more Instagram followers. I was doing this because of the love of the game of climbing and doing things and being physical. I saw this movie not too long ago. It had to do with the guy who invented uh, snowboarding and he got to 60 and everybody's like, God, you've, you've accomplished so much. And they said, why don't you slow down? Just really taste the fruits of your, your labor. And he said, well, maybe all you guys need to accelerate and catch up. And that's, that's kind of the way I feel, you know, I've, I've got, I'm going down to Jackson hole next weekend and I'm climbing this mountain called the grand. It's very technical. It's scary looking rock. You know, it's going straight up, um, tied in climbing up the rock face. And then, uh, I'm training for that because then I'm flying over to Chamonix, France in, in, in September and climbing, um, I'm climbing uh, Mount Blanc, which is the highest mountain in the, in the Alps. And then I'm going down into Switzerland in a little town called Germont. And there's the, the famous and infamous Matterhorn. Mm. And so that's going to be intense, you know, and I just want to keep setting these goals and going after it. And it, get, it gives me up. My greatest joy is, is I get up every single morning, like with my hands in the air, like, yahoo, yippee, I'm ready to go. And I get out there and I get after it for an hour and a half. And then I work all day at Sports Illustrated and we transform that too. I've taken the exact same principle, that, that pyramid of success of what I was talking about, like all those fine little details and do it with a passion and a purpose. And it's amazing at what, what can transpire. When we took over Sports Illustrated uh, three years ago now, they were an old brand. It was tired. It was worn out. And we've elevated Sports Illustrated now to number five um, in the in the rankings Um you know, in terms of the online presence, ESPN is number two, we're right behind CBS. And so we've gone from being completely irrelevant to very relevant and we'll continue to climb up um, this year. I think we're going to end up at number three. And it's really cool. It's the same thing. It's the same principle. So my last question, you're involved with also two foundations, one of which helps support uh, epilepsy, which uh, is, according to Wikipedia, your daughter has, so in honor of your daughter. So wishing her all the best as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, also Absolutely. veterans, uh, also veterans, higher ground, something that supports them. So just describe and describe to the fans how they can support those causes. Yeah, well, I mean, bottom line is this, is that um, I, 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 they're kind of rolled up into one, but um, my daughter does have epilepsy. By the way, she, in this, this we could go off and hold another hour-long show on why and, and because and everything else, but the bottom line is she has not had a seizure in a year and a half. And it's almost been a, a miracle. And it's, in, in the many different ways, I think it's through the empowerment of some of these things that I've done, which have kind of put her up on a pedestal as a spokesperson uh, that have helped in part to to get her over the hump of having these different daily seizures that she would have. Um, I partner with a company here in, in a nonprofit here in, in Sun Valley called Higher Ground, and they do um, spend a lot of time bringing in um, a lot of veterans. It's Again, it's all about that word empowerment. It's getting them to go fly fishing and mountain bike riding. You know, a lot of these guys are damaged with with, you know, their legs were blown off or they've got some PTSD and things like that. And, and they've lost their confidence. So getting them back out in nature and doing different things has really helped them along. And so 
Um, if anybody, you know, is listening on the show, you can find out about more about me, about my journey. You can find the movie. I also have a podcast called Finding Your Summit. It's all at MarkPattisonNFL.com. You can check that out. You can check out into my social at Mark Patterson NFL. Um, but you can go there and you can see the links to, to higher ground. If you want to make a donation, um, it's a great, great cause, great organization. Everything goes hundred percent directly to them. Um, so that's what it is. And, and you know, it's been a, a lot of fun and very gratifying in this whole journey to, to originally start out about me and then transition it to, you know, how can I reshine that light on other people? Well, I, I would like to help you with that. And I'm actually doing an awards, uh, a sports awards dinner on Thursday and hosting it and uh, DJing it and emceeing it. Uh, you get me the information. I'll definitely get people to absolutely donate money uh, to that great cause. Uh, we Love really it. appreciate you. Somebody like you, people should look up to because when you, you look at all the great things you've done and, and the things that you have moved forward in your life, not even, even as a football player, but everything that you've done, you try to be the best at what you do. And that's something that you, everybody should want to do and be like and i'm one of those guys too with radio and everything like that and i just read a little bit about you at sports illustrated that's a that's unbelievable you're a big you're a big part of the growth of sports illustrated i see right here so yeah it's unbelievable sports illustrated is a known magazine it's a, it's a magazine at one point that was you know flustered and it wasn't where it needed to be and uh now it's it's starting to grow again and it's getting back on that top five scale so that, that has a lot to do with you, and that shows you everybody that if, if if you put your heart and soul into everything that you do, you're going to try to – you'll be able to bring that to the being the best at what you can be. So we really exactly appreciate right. you. We really we really appreciate you. Uh, we'll stay in touch. I definitely would like to talk more about everything that you're doing, even off, off air, because I think you're an amazing man, Mark, and, and, and a person like you – is somebody that I strive to be as, as a radio guy and as uh, you know, an entertainer. So I really appreciate everything that you've done and, 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 and really appreciate you joining us tonight. Absolutely. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Again, big shout out to Kenny. You guys can have a great <laughs> chat with him afterwards, but uh, love what you guys are doing and bringing guys like me, you know, on your show to, to share our stories. And, you know, there's always something bigger. It should be bigger at least, you know, in my mind about why you get into certain things and just being open to change and possibilities. And it's amazing what you can accomplish. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Very well said. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Take care guys. Mark Patterson, everybody, uh, Emmy award winner, ex NFL wide receiver searching for the summit. If you haven't checked it, check it out. Uh, it's uh, E 60. They did a whole take on it. If you look up the video, it's a 43 minute uh, video on the internet so you can check it out it's it's a fantastic story and uh mark patterson is is one of those guys you have to look up to he's a special guy speedy write to him i, I want to get all his information uh when i do this award uh, sports war award dinner on thursday that's why i'm going to be late for the show on thursday i'm, I'm going to host this event so um i will definitely bring and 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 ought get a lot of people to, to know, donate uh, money to that great cause. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking to our pal. We haven't spoken to him for a couple of years. Cowboys and Sons play-by-play broadcaster Kevin Ray here on the Sports Loudmouth. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. 
I know Kevin likes this. This is this is some old time hip hop, man. Little 90s. Q-tip, baby. 631-672-3108 is the number. You are listening to the Sports Loud Mounds. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Former NFL receiver and Emmy Award winner from Searching for the Summit, Mark Patterson, joined us. He was fantastic. And why not bring in another special guest? We haven't spoken to this guy in a while. The last time we spoke to him, we were asking him silly questions. But uh, now he's on. He's doing very, very well. And he has the opportunity to tell us about his Cowboys. We are now talking to Cowboys and Suns play-by-play broadcaster, Kevin Ray. Kevin, what's going on, man? Gentlemen, how we doing? Well, I'm not better than you, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I don't I, know about that. What? I mean, <laughs> come on, Kevin, you're you're uh, you're the play-by-play guy for the Suns, who went all the way to the finals the year before last, and uh, was a, was a, a big time team this year. Won sixty games. Was a, one of the best teams in the NBA. And then you watch the Cowboys completely lay up a dud in the playoffs <laughs> last year. So uh, you're a Cowboys. But before we get into this, how are you been? Uh, how, how's your family doing from the whole, the whole COVID-19 situation? Yeah, we, we are great. Thank you for asking. Um, you know, like everybody else, everybody dealing with challenges, but uh, all things considered, you know, knock on wood, nobody was impacted too severely by it. And like everybody else, we're all very uh, feeling very happy to be on the other side of it as, as much as we can. We, you know, we, we know that it's it's still out there and there's new variants and stuff, but it's good to be kind of back to, to, to business as normal right now and looking forward to, you know, another great season. Mm. So you, you look at let's let's go into the Suns first before we get because a lot of a lot of cowboy stuff because we have a lot of cowboy haters and we have a lot of cowboy lovers that listen to this show so let's go through the Suns um, obviously Chris Paul gets uh, you know gets traded over there to the Suns signs his contract extension uh, he's a big part of the growth of this team Monty Monty, Monty Williams is a great coach uh, really has developed these young players into a defensive, offensive style of team, one of the better teams in the NBA. And then, obviously, Booker and, 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 and you know, obviously, uh, DeAndre Ayton, some of the young talent that they have. What has stood out to you with this Phoenix Suns team in the last two seasons? Well, I think it's just, you know, how much they have really rallied around one another. And, and you know, it, it sounds cliche, but it's probably one of the greatest things that gets overlooked for people in sports and most certainly for fans, but the, the delicate chemistry that is needed in order to be successful. And this is a group of guys that was put together by James Jones and Monty Williams. Uh, that, that I mean, They love hooping. They love playing, you know, with and for one another. They're, they're great friends off the court. And that chemistry has gone a long way in, you know, helping launch them to, you know, two incredibly successful seasons. Obviously, this past year, they wound up uh, well short of what the, the final goal was. But by and large, you've got great 
young core pieces. I mean, we've got uh, four or five guys who are 25 years or younger who are part of that that main core. And James Jones, you know, has proven to be a very uh, adept general manager, executive of the year, I guess now two seasons ago. There was so much basketball played in an 18-month span. You, you kind of remember, it's like, oh, that's right, it was two years ago. Yep. But, yeah, just, just good people guys who love to ball and, you know, guys who continue to work on their craft and try to get better for the next season. So you, in those two seasons, one with the NBA finals run and then last year with the historically good regular season that they had, what were those, what were those experiences like broadcasting those games and covering the team the way you did? Well, it goes without saying, you know, when you're, when you're a play-by-play guy, I mean, that, that's what you live for. That's what you love. And, Considering the, the the long drought of a decade plus that the the Suns team went through without going into the playoffs, and you really appreciate and enjoy night in and night out, feeling like your team has a chance to win. And look, taking nothing away, one, one of the, the the first people that I spoke to when I got into the the play by play seat was uh, Ralph Lawler, mm. a longtime television voice for the Los Angeles Clippers. Absolutely, you know, tremendous gentleman. And, you know, we all know how many years the Clippers went before they started winning. And I just felt that that he could provide some great input for me. And, and he did. He just said, really told me, you know, kind of what I knew deep down. But he reinforced, which is, look, we're, we're blessed to be in the position we're in. We're, you know, one of 30 guys who get to do this job. And what I do is not work. You know, I, I grew up on a farm working for my uncle in construction. So I know what work is. Mm-hmm. And so getting to call an NBA or an NFL game is not work, man. It is, it is an absolute joy and a pleasure. And you just take, you know, we, you took each night back in those losing seasons and you just try to compartmentalize and just say, tonight might be the night, you know, what, what's, what kind of special performance am I going to see? Is it going to be a special team performance? Is it going to be a special individual performance? And you really try to focus on that. And then again, just, you know, being grateful for being in the, the broadcast seat that I'm in and those words and that wisdom serve me well. And when you get to a situation like this, where they're winning a lot of games, just makes it a whole lot more fun. We are talking to Cowboys and Suns play-by-play broadcaster, Kevin Ray. Kevin, I was about to ask you, what is it like being a part of an event like a playoff, a playoff opportunity for basketball and football? But Speedy asked you that question. But my question to you is, when you look at the game, of basketball for what it was when you started being a broadcaster. What has become more different of watching the games and broadcasting and doing the play-by-play from the games then until now? Yeah, I think it goes without saying, you know, we've all seen how prevalent the three-point shot has become. I mean, I I think back to those those great uh, Mike D'Antoni teams with Mm -hmm. Steve Nash, you know, a two-time MVP, Amari Stoudemire, and a team that got to the conference finals and came up short, you know, a few times. But, you know, how dynamic they were offensively. But even that team only attempted maybe 13 to 15 three-point shots per game. It wasn't like they were jacking them up. Yet they kind of revolutionized the game by how fast and how quickly they moved the ball and, you know, got the ball at the floor. And now it's not uncommon to see – 13 to 20 
three-point shot attempts in a quarter. Uh, so that's that's you know one of the biggest things. You just don't have the back to your basket kind you know type guy. Uh, you, you really do play uh, outside in with most all of your offense being behind that three point line. And the way that analytics has really changed the the view and strategy from coaches. And as a result, you know, as a broadcaster, you're you're calling the game differently than you did uh, mm-hmm. 10 years ago, just yeah. for those very reasons. So a lot has been made of the Suns this offseason with Kevin Durant, and now Kevin oh, Durant, uh, now giving the Nets kind of an ultimatum, either trade me or <sighs> fire these guys, including Steve Nash, who's now coaching them, ironically. What a bunch of clowns over there, <laughs> so, by the way. So the Suns are one of the teams he wanted to go to initially, but now that with DeAndre Ayton, with the way that worked out, they can't trade him until the trade Keep deadline. Keep Kevin Durant away from the Suns, please. So is that <laughs> oh what you're thinking is going to happen now, or do you think there's still a shot? <laughs> Man, I, I have no idea. Um that is way above my pay grade. You know, a lot of people were saying in July with the trade deadline, it was going to happen. And I just, you know, there's, there's a lot of rhetoric going on right now. And, you know, we all know that the, the discussion between KD and the owner and the way that that went down. Uh, all I know is if the Suns do run it back with their current roster, I feel very confident about them, you know, being successful again this season. And look, it goes without saying, you know, Kevin Durant is one of the top five players on the planet. I mean, just hands down. So he's going to make your team better. I think what everybody has continued to look at, and for Suns fans, just in talking to a lot of them, the the underlying concern is if you were to, to pull the trigger on a deal like that, what are you having to give up? And if you give up so much for him, do you really have enough, even considering how talented he is, to then contend for a championship? And and I think that's what, you know, James Jones and, for that matter, any GM of a team that is considering that move uh, really has to take a, you know, a close examination of because there's certainly no guarantee that, that he's going to bring a title with you. And if you gut your team, if you send out – five or six of those core players that I'm talking about who are 25 and younger, um, you you are really, sh- I mean, really shrinking your window of success. And I think those are the things that, that, that they're weighing right now. If they want a circus, they make the trade. I mean, because, <laughs> I mean, there are a bunch of clowns over there. Kyrie Irving is a clown. Uh, Kevin Durant's a clown. And Ben Simmons is the biggest clown of them all, okay? Three <laughs> clowns uh, running and and by the way three talented clowns but clowns uh, won't work over there and it doesn't matter where they go if Kyrie goes to the LA Lakers it's not going to make them any better if Kevin Durant goes over the Suns he's going to ruin that team and if Ben Simmons stays over there with the Nets well he'll probably just sit there and collect his money so uh, they're just a bunch of clowns over there, and I and I I'm, I'm right over here, and I know all the Brooklyn fans over here are probably telling me I don't know what I'm talking about. But look at what the Sun, look what what the Suns did last year, and look at what the Nets did. I don't want to hear that they weren't healthy. You had Kyrie healthy, and you had Kevin Durant healthy. You should have beaten the Boston Celtics. I'm sorry. As good as the Boston Celtics are defensively, you have two of the top ten players in the league. You should be winning. So it just it tells me that they don't work together, and they're a bunch of clowns. So trade them away. But anyways, uh, that's all hearsay or 
something else that we can talk about another time. Uh, we are talking to Cowboys and Suns play-by-play broadcaster Kevin Ray. One more question for me before we get into football. The, there's so many talks with all these superstars. After, after the offseason, uh, you know, you hear Kevin Durant's name, you hear Kyrie Irving, you hear Donovan Mitchell wanting to be traded now. Why is this going on in the NBA? In all the sports, it seems like the NBA has become a prima donna sport where if they don't want to play somewhere and they're demanding a trade out, they want their money and they're, they're demanding to be traded out to the team that they want to play for or they won't play. Why is this going on in the NBA? What could Adam Silver do to help change this from going on? Yeah, I think it goes without saying that there is a a degree of concern from the commissioner uh, when it comes to these type of situations. And the only thing I would say with with Donovan, I'm, I'm not sure that he has been as as adamant as much as it has been mm-hmm. coming from the, the Jazz. When you look at what they're trying to do, I think it's safe to say that having him on a team where they're in a clear rebuild rebuild, I think they're they're clearly looking at at him as an asset. Mm. Now, as it relates to, to KD, yeah, I think, I think it is a concern because, you know, when you're sitting there as an owner and a general manager, and here you are just a year removed from having signed this guy to a, a four-year contract, you know, what, what it comes down to is you start asking what's a contract really mean? Mm. You know, what, what, what does he contract stand for? Um, if there is nothing for us as an organization as a coach and a GM to, you know, to be able to stand up. And I do think that it'll be a part of the dialogue with uh, commissioner silver, uh, the, the players union, the next CBA, because it's not, you, you don't want to turn it, turn it into a, you know, a transient league, mm. if you will, where a guy says, yeah, I'm just not happy here. I'm not, I'm just not feeling the vibe and I want out. That is not what, what will set this, you know, league up for continued success. Mm. So I'll transition now to the NFL and the Cowboys. So Micah Parsons having that big rookie year he did last year, rookie of the year. Sensational year. And the Cowboys defense kind of took some interesting overhauls. They lost Randy Gregory, but they brought in a couple other linebackers, most recently Anthony Barr. My question is, with all the linebacker depth that they have, can you see Micah Parsons maybe transitioning into a full-time pass rusher? And if so, would that diminish his other value too? Because he was great at coverage, stopping the run, stuff like that. Yeah, it's going to be real interesting to see how Dan Quinn, you know, utilizes Micah now in his second season. I mean, this is a kid you just you love to watch play. And, you know, going back to talking about the Suns, how they love to, to, to hoop. This guy loves to play football, man. He, he just he loves to compete. And uh, it, it will be interesting to see how much they move him around the field. And of course, this is year two. So there's the full season's worth of tape. How are teams going to try and scheme with Micah? And I think you also have to look at the other guys around him, how successful they can be. You know, can Tank Lawrence, you know, get back to the line record and game record that he was a few years ago? But I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that Micah will have an impact. I'm just not sure if we'll see those sack numbers. But having said that, I think the the amount and level of disruption will be equal, if not greater. We are talking to Cowboys and Suns play-by-play broadcaster Kevin Ray, friend of the show. We love Kevin. Um, now let's get into this whole Dak Prescott thing because Dak has been manhandled by the press 
after what he did in the playoffs last year. And I feel bad for him. I like Dak. I, I stick up for him. I've stuck up for him since they drafted him. And in the fourth round where everybody said he was going to be nothing, he was never going to start in the NFL, he earned his way after Romo got hurt, and he's really become, I believe, a top-12 quarterback in the NFL. And, and then last year, demanding for the money, he got his money, and everybody, everybody's looking at the numbers, and everybody's looking at what, he, what he's done against winning teams and what he's done against poor teams. He has dominated against poor teams, and he's barely beaten any good teams. That's what people are saying. I right. disagree. I disagree. And what he did in the playoffs last year with one minute left made absolutely no sense. He was attacked. I blame the coach because the coach should be telling the player – this is how many timeouts we have. Be aware where we're at at the time clock of where we are. He did not do that. And McCarthy actually admitted at the end of the game he did not inform Dak on that situation. What was Dak saying after the game as far as what you have saw, you know, what you've seen in that game? What, what really changed your mind on his mistake in that game? Yeah, look, I mean, to be honest with you, it, that was so long ago right. and there's really, you know, there's really no reason to go back and, right. and kind of rehash that. He acknowledges he should have gotten down sooner. To your point, I think the play call itself, um, game management is something that has hung over the head of Mike McCarthy. And I think you could, if you read between the lines from Jerry Jones and some of the offseason comments, it's clear that game management was a part of a number of off-season discussions mm-hmm. between owner and uh, and head coach. I, I'm right there with you on Dak. I, I've been a huge Dak fan from the moment he got into the league. He is a great guy. He is an absolute fighter. He is a winner. And look, sport outside of golf and tennis is a team sport. Yes, you can break down the numbers for, you know, for this and that. But last year's flameout went way beyond Dak. Mm-hmm. You look at the, the inferior line play the last six or seven games. Zeke was not healthy. He should not have been in the field, on the field probably in that playoff game. So there are a variety of things that you can point to and say, this is why. Did Dak play his best game? Absolutely not. He'd be the first one to raise his hand and say, yeah, I, you know, I've got to do better because I am the leader. But that's that's what you love about Dak because he takes that accountability and responsibility as the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, so, you know, those are things that he will learn from, the team will learn from, and hopefully all be better as a result. A lot of respect for Dak Prescott for all the things that he's gone through as an NFL player, if you, if you think well, about and, it. And look, yeah. beyond NFL player, yeah. I mean – what this guy's been through personally, Absolutely. I just, you know, and I, and I know Dak's not the only guy in the league who, who's had losses, but when you consider the, the people that he lost within a two year period on top of having that injury, mm-hmm. I just don't think people really understand what that can do to a human being and, mm-hmm. and no amount of money is going to make that right for you. So speaking of offense, they traded Amari Cooper this offseason. He goes to the Browns. So CeeDee Lamb now has to be the guy to step up as that number one guy. What have you seen from him so far in this training camp? Yeah, CeeDee's had a good camp. Um, You know, training camps are so different now, guys. Uh, And I've only been out here for for a couple of days, so I can't honestly say that I've seen a ton from him other than just talking to some folks. But he's had a good camp. 
mean, look, he's he is the number one receiver now, and it will be interesting to see if if he can kind of live up to that billing. Uh, there's going to have to be other people that, that step up and help alleviate some of that pressure. We won't see uh, Michael Gallup till I'm guessing late October would be mm. my guess. Maybe even November when you consider wow. the injury he had. Unfortunately, they lose Washington, who they picked up in the offseason. He's out for probably six to ten weeks. So the receiving room is pretty thin right now. Uh, but CD is going to have to step up and, and be the playmaker that uh, that he's wanted to be and they need him to be. As everybody knows, we are talking to Cowboys and Suns play-by-play broadcaster Kevin Ray. Kevin, uh, the Cowboys over the years have been known for their offensive line. They've dominated in the trenches over the years, especially in the 90s when they won their three Super Bowls. Everybody forgets. They talk about Emmitt Smith and Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin. People forget how dominant their offensive line. You're talking about five all-pro, five Hall of Famers that played on that offensive line and dominated at the line of scrimmage. Now you, you, you look at this offensive line. They lost one of their star tackles. He goes to the Bengals this offseason, and, and, and they're, they're just getting old. And, and they lost their center. He retires. Where is this offensive line going now? And and if if I was Dak Prescott, would I be excited going into a season where my offensive line is not as strong as it has been over the years? Yeah, look, it, I mean, going back to what I said earlier, you, you look at the last seven, uh, seven weeks of the season and the offensive line was just not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyron Smith. Uh, you know, perennial pro bowler, but injuries, I think, have taken a toll on Tyron. He hasn't played a full season in a few years now. Uh, last year, missing several games. He had a turnstile there at, at left tackle trying to find somebody to pick him up. Uh, Tyler Biotish, you know, took took over as center a couple of years ago. He has not really stepped into that role the way that they had hoped and wanted. McGovern has really struggled. Uh, so, yeah, there are some question marks coming into this season if this team uh, offensive line can really get solidified. I will say this, though. Uh, their pick in the offensive line, Tyler Smith, uh, the young man out of, out of Tulsa, this kid is going to be a stud. Um, you, you hear the words nasty. You hear the words violent when they talk about him. I've seen some of the clips of him in practice, watched him a little bit today. Uh, he has got a bright future. So I, I'm not sure that he will start in week one, but I would not be surprised if before it's all said and done that he is uh, he is a starter probably on the inside and maybe look to move him out on the edge uh, once Tyron Smith decides to wrap it up. But there's, there's some promise there in the offensive line, but uh, th- there's a lot to make up for the way things kind of ended last season. You, you stole my Tyler Smith uh, question because uh, Tyler Smith, everybody was attacking the Cowboys on why they drafted him where he was. Jermaine Johnson was sitting there. They could have drafted him, add another defensive player to that defensive line with uh, Micah Parsons. They didn't go there. They went after this offensive lineman. People are questioning. Some people thought we've had scouts call, talk, talk on the show and said at one point he was a top 10 pick a year ago. And then he kind of fell off this, this past year because he didn't play as well uh, in certain games. When you look at this Cowboys team as a whole, okay, and and and, it, and it's a whole, is this a playoff team this year? Um, I do believe it's a playoff team. 
it will not be easy, though. Uh, I, I, I do believe that they have a chance to, to win the division again uh, because I think that the, the division is still very much in flux. I know a lot of people are in love with Philadelphia, the moves that they've made, and they have made some some very you know shrewd moves, but remains to be seen if, if they're ready to take that mantle from the Cowboys. And when you look at the Giants, you got an entire new coaching staff again, mm-hmm. Daniel Jones, is he ready to, to finally be a consistent starting quarterback? And in Washington, uh, you know, Carson Wentz, we saw how things went there. So I, I believe it's going to be a two-horse race between Dallas and Philadelphia. The head-to-head matchups will be critical. Uh, but, yes, I do believe it, it can be a playoff team if uh, if things come together. And, and obviously, like any team, there's no significant injuries. We do love Washington, by the way especially the stupidity of their owner. I mean, it is great to have bad guys and bad teams in the NFL. And and when you look at Washington, I respect the fans because I think they have one of the best fans in, in, in all of sports. But the problem is over there, the ownership over there is just lackadaisical. He is a complete moron. And uh, in everything, in every kind of way, I, I if I was – Somebody, and I'm not going to mention a name, who is suing the NFL and suing the Washington Red uh, Washington. I'm sorry, Washington Commanders for throwing him under the bus when ownership should have been thrown under the bus a hundred percent. And and everybody knows I'm not going to name the coach because everybody knows who I'm talking about. It, it is absolutely appalling that that man still owns that team. Okay, and and the NFL should be ashamed of themselves for letting that guy still be a part of that organization. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> that That's a lot, and I'll leave it at that, too. <laughs> so I, I want to say, in your t- observation so far, and what you've heard and seen at training camp so far, is there any under-the-radar players for Dallas that we should be looking out for that may be a breakout-type candidate? I don't know necessarily about a breakout guy, but talking to some folks today as we were talking about the receiving core and right now being a little bit thin, uh, but a young man who's had a great camp so far, Dennis Houston out of Western Illinois, undrafted free agent, and seems to to be really steady in just his approach to the game and has, has definitely raised some eyebrows. So he is a guy, look, he's going to get opportunities because of the injuries and the departure, obviously, of Amari Cooper. And in preseason, uh, I don't anticipate a lot of the starters seeing any time. And let me, let me just restate any time uh, <laughs> because you've got a three-game preseason. Uh, the Cowboys will work Thursday against Denver before they before they play them in preseason Saturday. They'll have a a practice against the Chargers as well the following week. So I I don't anticipate the starters seeing any time or if so very very little time, and it'll open the door for guys like Dennis Houston to to step up. But he could be a guy in the receiving core uh, that that you know could find himself on the field a lot more than people would imagine. As everybody knows, we are talking to the Cowboys and Suns play-by-play broadcaster, friend of the show, Kevin Ray. Kevin, last question for me, Zeke, baby. And I've always liked Zeke from Ohio State. Uh, I thought he was drafted a little too high, but I I still think he's a fantastic running back. But last year, even though his numbers would show that he had a decent season, Tony Pollard really stuck out like a sore thumb more than he did. 
And a lot of people are saying that Tony Pollard is going to see more looks this year than he did last year. And that means this could be the end of Zeke uh, as we know it. Do you think that's true? Or do you think that the Cowboys still believe Zeke is the number one running back of this team? Well, I think they believe he's the number one, but it, it, it really does. And you, you hit it right on the head when you look at the, the dynamic numbers that you got from Tony Pollard. I mean, it really is 1A and 1B. And quite frankly, that's, that's the way it should be. That's the way I thought it would be last year and early on in the year. We saw more two-back sets and we saw more motion with Tony Pollard. Look, he's a terrific receiver. So I wouldn't be surprised. Um, and I've got nothing to base this on other than just his productivity out of the backfield as a pass catcher. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see Tony Pollard, you know, run some out of the slot coming out of the backfield in motion. I always felt like that was one area when you looked at the play calling beyond the players. I, I think that a lot of folks were really disappointed in the play calling the last six weeks uh, from Kellen Moore in that offense uh, got really vanilla and didn't didn't utilize the weapon that you've got into Tony Pollard. So I really think that Tony will be on the field. I'm certainly hoping he'll be on the field more, the two back set, but you run him in motion, bring him out, run him out of a slot situation and let him operate in space. And when he does that, he can make something happen. As far as Zeke goes, best shape of his life. When you, when you look at him, when you talk to folks and as it was just say, it's not just the running back. You've got to have some help up front of course. with your big offensive lineman. So it goes hand in glove there. But I think if Zeke puts up, you know, strong numbers again this season, I'll, I think he'll have a chance to come back. But I think it's going to be on a rework contract or he will probably be shown the door. To your point, probably got more money than 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 they really needed. That's something that came out, you know, immediately once the deal was done. But I believe that Zeke is still a very, very good back. And if he stays healthy, um, I think he has a chance to, to have another strong season. I don't want to throw you under the bus because I know Jerry pays you. But what the heck is Jerry thinking about when he's showing everybody the way he drafts? What is he doing? I think he's a smart man. He's a smart businessman. But how do you go to the press and say, well, this is what we do? And he shows everybody how they drift. His son was even telling him, Dad, what are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, come on, Jerry. What are you thinking? I mean, well, it, and, and, ju and just to be clear, I, I, I do the games for Compass Media Network. I'm just, so, I'm so just kidding. I'm just I don't, kidding. I don't get any checks from I Jerry. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> but I know what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Look, it's it's uh, it's it's a high entertainment value oh, when you're yes. talking about the Cowboys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mr. George Steinbrenner Jr. Jr. Okay. That's what I'm no wonder why they were best friends. Oh my God. Uh, my last question. One. Bold prediction for either one of your teams, the Cowboys and one for the Suns for this upcoming season. Ah, boy, bold season or bold prediction. You know, I, I'm very intrigued by this Cowboys team because it, it comes in. It's the first time in about five years where I just really don't quite know what to expect because there's so many new faces. That being said, um, I can see this team, if they remain injury-free and, and people really play, uh, you know, up to their level and the coaching staff coaches up to their level, 
Uh, I can see this team making a push. I'm, I'm not sure if it's a Super Bowl team, but I can see them winning 12, maybe 13 games. Uh, as it goes to the hey, Suns, wow. look, I'm I'm a I'm a big believer in this team. Even if they're not able to to pull off the you know the the KD deal, I think they've got a lot of great pieces coming back, and it's a hungry team, especially based on uh, considering the way that they kind of uh, faltered there at the end in the playoffs against the Dallas Mavericks. So I, I see the Suns team contending once again with or without KD. I, I love your take with Phoenix because I absolutely agree with you. I think Phoenix can win the championship whenever Chris Paul stands up and actually plays as hard as he does in the regular season. I think Chris Paul, the, the one thought that everybody's going to put on Chris Paul if he never wins a championship, I believe Chris Paul is the greatest point guard of this decade. Okay, he is. I don't care what anybody says about Steph Curry. Steph Curry is a great three-point shooter. He is not a two-way basketball player, and he's not Chris Paul. Chris Paul has gone everywhere, and he has made those teams better. Steph Curry could never do that. I'm sorry he could never do that. So to compare Steph Curry to Chris Paul is bonkers, okay? But Steph Curry's always going to look like he is better because he's won four titles, and he played with um, superstars after superstars after superstars, and he is the face of that organization. That being said... The Cowboys, 12 to 13 wins. I don't know, my friends. That's a lot he, of wins. He said, he said bull prediction. I mean, I wasn't <laughs> going to bring you know, anything vanilla. So. That's a <laughs> lot of wins for the Cowboys, especially like you said. There's so many new phases. But I love you, Kevin. I love everything about you. You're a hardworking man. You, you're the voice of the Cowboys. You're the voice of the Suns. And you're one of the main reasons why uh, – Every time you get a chance to listen to the Cowboys play-by-play on the radio and the Suns on the radio and you listen to you, you know what you're talking about and you have such a good background of understanding the game. So we really appreciate you and we'll be in touch a lot quicker than two years or three years. Appreciate it, guys. Always enjoy the invite. Take care. Absolutely. Kevin Ray, ladies and gentlemen, awesome. That's all I could say about that. Awesome. So is so is Mark Patterson. I didn't even know that Mark Patterson. You didn't tell me this. Mark Patterson's one of the 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 main guys of Sports Illustrated. Did you know that? No, I, I read all the other stuff too. It is That's crazy. so much I background. I, I guess I missed that somehow. I, with all with all the stuff that he does with the the mountain, the the mountains, and the summit, the summit uh, production. He said he had a podcast too, in addition to the documentary and all the stuff with that he did. I I didn't even realize I didn't realize the Sports Illustrated thing too. That was that's fascinating. It itself. is. He's he's one of the main guys. He's the main. I think he's the VP. He he, he practically. Does all the the you know, investigating and all that other stuff? Yes, yeah. Kenny. Yes, you can call in ten minutes. Yes, but Kenny's been waiting to call. <laughs> What's he going to be talking about today? Is he is he chasing lions now? Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! I mean, seriously, I'm going to call Kenny the Wizard of Oz. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call him Oz. All right. That would be perfect for him. We'll call him Kenny Oz Rayner, okay? That'll be, that'll be his new middle name, whatever yeah, it is. We'll call him Oz, all right? <laughs> but definitely thank Kevin. Geese, are there geese in Oz? That's the real question. He says he's on the can. Wonderful. That's wonderful. <laughs> Stay you. on the can. Thank you, Kenny. Stay on the can, okay? Anyways.
Uh, tell tell Kevin we yes, really appreciate that. him. He's awesome. He really is. I I love him. I I missed him because we haven't spoken to him forever. Because you know we're trying to bring in new guests and uh, but. Kevin gives you a different, broad perspective of what's going on with the Suns organization and the Cowboys organization. And uh, to have somebody like that that has such an inside take on what's going on uh, for both teams in the industry is is fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, he's a fantastic uh, play-by-play guy. If you guys have never heard Kevin do play-by-play, well, you're missing something great. Go check it out. Every Sunday for the Cowboys – uh, you know, especially the home games, which is fun with the crowd and the craziness over there. And uh, the Suns. The, I, I listened to Kevin in the playoff games uh, this past year. Fantastic. Okay. So if you like play-by-play and you want, you want to be a play-by-play, all the kids out there that are trying to make it as a play-by-play guy, check out Kevin. Kevin and, and, and reach out to Kev because Kev can actually uh, give you some information that you probably don't know about play-by-play. So... Uh, two really great guests tonight, so Fantastic, thank you. Yes. Absolutely. Um, the Roquan Smith situation seems that it's growing legs, okay? And I'm not surprised Roquan Smith wants out of the Bears. Why would he want to be there? They, they practically lost their best pass rusher this offseason when they traded him over there to the Chargers. And Roquan is a guy that had a lot of respect for the big daddy. And now you sit here and you wonder what this defense is all about. Uh, uh, This team over the years have been known for their defense, their front seven. Roquan Smith was a top draft pick. I remember he came from Georgia and and a a very talented kid. And it took him uh, two years to really develop his skills and become the elite linebacker that he is. He doesn't want to be there because the Bears are going to be really bad. And he knows that. And it doesn't matter how good he is or what his numbers are going to be this year. It's not going to make that defense any better than what they're probably going to be on paper. So I'm not surprised he's demanding a trade. The question is, are the Bears willing to trade him? And if they do trade him, what are they going to get for him? Because for a guy that talented, you could probably get two first-round draft picks for him. You, you could. And, and I've, I've been listening to what Jeff said. He, he believes the Atlanta Falcons are going to be the team. Why would the Atlanta Falcons trade away arguably, I would say, lottery picks? And I know, I know Jeff is going to say there is no lottery in football. Top 10 pick in this year's draft when they could be looking for a quarterback. Really. I, I mean, with the quarterbacks that are going to be in this year's draft – there could be four drafted in the top ten. Four of them. Why would they trade away a pick of this magnitude for Roquan Smith? Are, is Roquan Smith going to make Atlanta a playoff team this year? Probably not. They are far from the playoffs. They really are. And, and, and look who their starting quarterback is going to be this year. Now, I'm not going to say he's a bad quarterback. We've seen him when he played for Oregon. We've seen him when he played for Tennessee. We've seen him, you know, he's been a journeyman, really, since he's come into the NFL. Now, is he a good quarterback? Yeah, he's a good quarterback. Is he going to win games with his arm? No, he's not. He'll win games with his legs. So, going back to understanding of what's going on with this Roquan Smith situation, 
And he's not going to the Jets, by the way. There is no way the Jets are going to give away, especially Joe Douglas on on how savvy he is with the draft. He is not trading away two first-round draft picks for Roquan Smith. He's not. As good as he is. So where does he go? I think Miami is a team that would be stupid enough, even though they lost their first-round draft pick this year because of stupidity by their owner. (laughs) So Miami would be an interesting team. Uh, Tennessee, who is looking for linebackers. Yeah, lost two of them. Yes, I I think Tennessee. And I've been looking at this during our interviews on what teams would really stand out uh, where he would fit. Um, Philadelphia. Is yeah, another team. Definitely. When they have all those picks, they have two first round draft picks this year. Philly would absolutely be a, a great team. And Phil, that if they get Roquan Smith on that defense, forget it. I, I mean, that that really solidifies their defense moving forward going into this year. The Eagles would have went from if they do that, they would have went from like arguably one of the worst linebacker cores in the league to one of the to one of the better ones. They got Hassan Reddick, they drafted Nicobe Dean. He's not going to play the whole season, but they drafted Nicobe Dean and they signed Kaiser White, and then they would trade for Roquan Smith too. That would be one insane overhaul if they did that. Absolutely. And here's another team, the Raiders. Yes. Who uh, have been looking for linebacking play and they've been known over the years and for all the great Raiders defenses, they've always been known for their linebackers. And I, I know everybody's going to say Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh already got Jack for practically nothing. Thank you to the Jacksonville Jaguars for panting him over. So it wouldn't be Pittsburgh, uh, but I, I think the Raiders, Tennessee, Miami are the three teams that I think make sense. I just don't know if Miami's going to have enough after losing their first-round draft pick to, to land a player of that magnitude. So. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because those all those three teams all have the salary cap. I yes. know Jeff brought up Atlanta. I don't think that makes a lot of sense nope. because they just they just brought in Rashawn Evans and they still have Deion Jones, who's one of the best middle linebackers in the league. And so. they're looking for a quarterback. Why would they trade their first round draft pick next year when they could get their quarterback of the yeah. future? It doesn't plus, make sense. Yeah, plus they have other needs on that defense yeah. too. Their their corner core is pretty good. AJ Terrell had a great year last year. They signed Casey Hayward and Richie Grant as a rookie safety had a pretty good year for yep. them. But their pass rushers are not great. And they're outside of Grady Jarrett, they don't have a lot more beyond that on their whole defensive line. So I don't know if that really is an urgent need to push. Plus, they lost another linebacker in Olakun this offseason. So it, I don't know if it really makes sense for them. I'm, I'm with you on the Raiders. I definitely could see them being that that kind of move being a focal point. McDaniel's there. For it that, makes sense. Yeah, for that kind of defense to go along with that great defensive line, that pass rush duo that they have now bringing in Chandler Jones with Max Crosby. So now they get somebody to help their run defense, which has been iffy the last couple of years. The Raiders two years ago were one of the best run defenses in the league, and their pass defense was awful. Now it kind of reverted back to the other way around. So I definitely could see the Raiders as being a team to make that kind of move. Uh, All three teams have salary room. So that if whoever gets them out of those three teams, they're going to be able to re-sign them and give them the, the extension. So he'll be happy with the money, and he'll be happy with any of those teams. And by the way, he has a good relationship with Tyreek Hill. Mm. So uh, Miami would definitely be a team where – if they can somehow make the move, but it's going to hurt them because they lost their first-round draft pick this year. Mm-hmm. Thank you, 
to Mr. Ross. <laughs> yeah, I think later in the process could be something for Miami to look at because Chicago hasn't been the greatest at making trades either when it comes to they've sold short on a lot of their top players that they've either traded away or didn't trade when they should have. And a lot of that defense from the 2018 defense that was the best in the best in the NFL has gone now. And a lot of that defense is now young. So the, there's not much more they could get. And they haven't been able to get the value back as a whole with any young players or draft picks. And everybody will bring up Baltimore, but Baltimore don't like to spend money. No. So don't expect Baltimore to make that move. The Bengals don't like to spend money, so they're not going to make that move. Both teams could absolutely make the move for Roquan Smith because they yeah. they have stock, uh, definitely good young players and draft stock, and they have money. So, But they, as you know, with the whole Jackson situation, they haven't paid Lamar, so why would they pay Roquan? And the three teams that I mentioned make a lot of sense. It, it, it just makes a tremendous amount of sense. But the question is, will they do it? And here's another team that could surprise a lot of people. The Buffalo Bills. Now, they did give Von Miller a lot of money. If somehow they can maneuver, you know, maybe trade away some of these young pieces and, and, and fit Roquan in that, that cap, I don't know if they could. He would be fantastic. They only have four and a half million right now. Oh, so they could. It's going to be hard for them too because they have a lot invested with their linebackers already with yeah. Edmonds and Milano. Could you imagine too. him on that? Buffalo that would be the Bills best. Team. That would be the best in the league for a four-three defense. Him, Edmonds, and Milano would be fantastic. But it would all be very pricey for a position that's uh, yes. not being high priced at this time. So. I would love to see that, but it's not yeah. going to happen. It's not the way you really build your team now. That's why I think it's more likely for a Raiders team that already has a, those two pass rushers in place already and some secondary pieces. Not a lot, but a couple of good secondary pieces. And you brought up the Titans, too, as another option. that I did Titans make sense. Good they make sense. They have money. Yeah. And uh, they lost a lot of pieces. Jayon Brown, season. ironically, went to the Raiders. Yes. So, And then Rashawn Evans, ironically, went to the Falcons, two, two teams we just mentioned. They brought in Zach Cunningham last year. That didn't really work. And now they're tr- they, to try something else like that, and Mike Vrabel, that type of defense, I think that could definitely help him too. Uh, the Chargers are another interesting one too. If they're right now thirteen million on on the cap, they still have to sign Derwin James, but to help out their run defense, which was really bad last year, I don't think they're going to do it. They're going to have to extend Derwin James. He's going to want a lot of money. Uh, he, to me, is the best safety in football. So they, he's going to want. I, I would say Derwin James. If I was Derwin James, I want. He's going to want top five safety money. Yeah, easily. eighteen, yeah. nineteen million a year. That's mm-hmm. what I want, and, but, and he's going to get it. But I think in terms of figuring out that last big concept for the Chargers to take that leap, because run defense, they were the third worst run defense in the league. Roquan Smith definitely helped that a lot. You were talking about it where Roquan Smith didn't really develop into the like all-around linebacker no. until probably year three. Yep. But he was always a good run tackler, yep. mm-hmm. and that's what the Chargers need big time. They lost Kenneth Murray to an injury last year. They get him back, but we'll see how he comes back. And then outside of that, they lost, like they, like I said, with the Eagles, they lost Kaiser Wright to the Eagles, so they don't have much depth beyond that. So I think that could be something that they they should consider going after. You're right. I think that I would prioritize paying Derwin James first. But in terms of a need, that is definitely something, and it's a great player too, so why not? Uh, the Beef says Cowboys will have at least 11, 12 wins this year because of their defense, and they will carry the whole team. The, the defense will carry the Cowboys. I, I, I do not believe they're going to win 11 or 12 games this year. But we'll go over that a little bit later uh, in next week. I think we'll next week we'll do our – no, we'll wait another week after that. We'll wait two weeks from now to, to go through each and every team, their strengths, their weaknesses, and who what we think their records are going to be and who do we think is going to sneak into the playoffs. And I will say this. There could be a lot of surprises this year in the NFC. The NFC, yeah. And in the AFC – 
there are quite a few teams that could fall out of it. And there is one specific team that I've been talking about who has been a top team in the, at the AFC for many, many years, for the last four or five years, who I believe will probably miss the playoffs. But I'm not going to say it. I'm sure you're thinking where I'm, where I'm going with that. There's going to be a lot of good teams that miss in the, both the North and the West this year in the AFC. It, it's crazy. I, I, think, I think when you look at the NFL and where the NFL is going with some of these teams, there are a lot of specific teams that are going to be a lot better this year. I mean, I, I'm not saying this because I'm a Jet fan. I expect the Jets to be a lot better this year. Um, that, that, and then I also think that some of the bad teams are just going to get worse, like Jacksonville. I just I don't know how much better. I mean, they're they can't get much be. worse than last year, though. I mean, that was just a whole debacle of a season with the Urban Myers, all that crap that they went through. All right. Oh, he's here, Kenny. What's up, man? What's happening, guys? What would you well, like? Some good interviews, and I'm following that guy's podcast. There, there you, you go. go. He, he loves re- you. He referenced you like five times. He loves you, Kenny. That's true. Or maybe you could climb the Alps with him. No, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not a climber. I'm afraid of heights. Oh, you're afraid of heights, man. Just I'd smoke. rather take a class and conquer my fear by jumping out of a plane. Why don't That's you what just, I'd rather do. Why don't you just smoke a little wax, and then you won't even have to worry about the fears. No, I'm saying that I don't think I can spend a month up 20,000 feet. It's a little high. It's a little high, but you you'll find something to smoke up there. Yeah, you'll find something to smoke. You could smoke the ice. I'm not saying that it's, it's a little high. I'd rather jump out of a plane strapped to someone than drastically drop. Would you be? Altitude. Would you rather be strapped to a guy or a woman? Woman, most definitely. Most definitely. Why? Why a woman? I don't know. It'd be it'd be something fun to do together. Ah, all so. right. Question, Kenny. Now here's the, here's the big one. If there were a bunch of geese running up a mountain, how far could you make it up before you lost breath? Uh, I think I'm done chasing geese. I think I'll make a video feeding geese, and then everybody will see that I feed geese. That's right. <laughs> feeding geese? That's just not the same as chasing the geese. The way turn things around. I don't think that video would get uh, seen as a hate speech or anything. All right, so you chase <laughs> squirrels now. What do you think about that? <laughs> no. You I'm like squirrels? Good. You like squirrels? They're all right. They're all right. How about raccoons? You like them? I haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen area. a hold on one second. You've never seen a raccoon before in your life? Not in my area, not where I just moved to. I've uh, seen them before that. Uh, okay. How about a possum? Have you ever seen one of those ugly bastards? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about them? Do they look like does that look like your, your long lost cousin, you know? No. No. You. What? You don't think a possum looks like your long lost cousin? No. Really? Really? No. Well, if we put a hat on a possum, it'd probably look a little bit like you, right? Oh, no. Very tall. They are not. says Kenny would be strapped with the geese he was chasing. Well, he wouldn't have to chase them anymore if that was the case. I have to say, the the Cowboys haven't been to the conference final in, what, 27 years? Yeah, since 1996. (laughs) Since their last Super Bowl. It's going to be 28 years. Since their last Super Bowl. 30 years, and, yeah. 
Yeah, since their last Super Bowl, they have not been in a, in a conference championship game. And there's only four, or there's only two other NFC teams that have not been to a conference championship game, and those are the Was- Washington and the Lions. So to put that that in perspective, that's how bad the Cowboys have been in the playoffs. <laughs> At least the Jets are not one of those teams. No, no, I was that was just in the NFC. Thank God. In the NFC, I think the AFC only has a couple too. I think Miami. I think the Raiders and. It's not the, the Jets. Browns. The no, Jets, not the Jets. They uh, were there back-to-back years. Yeah, the Browns and the Texans. I think they're yeah. the, the teams of the AFC. Because the Bengals were there, but then they just made it to the Super Bowl this year. So Snug wants now, me to ask you, do you think possums are sexy? No. No? What do you think? They're an animal. From a grade from 1 to 10, would you, would you think, uh, what would you think of the sexiness of a possum? Zero. A zero? Yeah. You don't think they're sexy? No. Would you kiss one? It's an animal. Would you kiss it's one? It's an animal. It's That's a, a no. I'm not telling you to make love to it. No, I wouldn't. No? no. I would, I, I, if I was a person I, and I was like you, I, I wouldn't chase geese. I would chase possums because they're, they're, they're scavengers, man, and they're mean. Snook says possums are a solid four. Nah. Well, Snug likes them. How about if you? How about having a you know a possum uh, help you cook you know a cupcake? What do you think about that? No, no? they're wild animals. I'm good. So you don't want to bake you with have, a possum? You have a possum help you cook your eggs? No, I'm good, man. If the po- if, like if you were Mister Doolittle and you know and you actually could talk to animals, what kind of animal would you like to talk to? I don't know. I like elephants. They're pretty cool. You like elephants? What what makes yeah. What makes an elephant pretty cool? Explain. They look really intelligent. Real, an elephant looks real intelligent? Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen an elephant at a zoo? Yeah. How about an elephant just peeing wherever he wants and crapping wherever he wants? Does that make him look intelligent? Make some of them do in the water, too. <laughs> I like elephants. You like elephants? Yeah. Would you... Would you take an elephant home and lay with one? No, an elephant is huge. It's fine. But you're huge. You're six foot five. What is this with you and animals? I'm not. I'm not saying anything. But you're the one who told told us that you chase geese. That's what you said. I now did you want to feed the video. them. Now you want to feed them, right? And now all yeah. of a sudden I asked you, what would you like to chase next? And you won't even give me an answer to it. You don't want to chase anything. Uh, I'm fine. I'm good not chasing animals. Okay. So uh, there is no more animal chasing for the great and powerful Oz. Okay. Kenny, you're supposed to, I guess we have to set up some kind of like uh, Ace Ventura spinoff where you could talk to elephants and see what they're like. <laughs> Nah. Could you imagine him talking to an elephant? <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> Making the elephant sounds <laughs> out of his nose. Could you imagine that? If smokes, smokes enough, he probably could. I think he could. I, I really do. I think Kenny could do anything. Uh, did you send my uh, my artwork yet? Uh, I got to do that. Uh, uh, you do have to do that. But, uh, Kenny, you are awesome, man. Keep listening to the show. Fantastic. Look, you made a new fan. Mark Patterson, you know, yeah. he, he runs yeah, Sports yeah, Illustrated. Yeah, the guy that sent me the link, right? Yes, he loves you, man. Your producer. Now, that's Speedy right there. But you go okay, watch go watch the video of what he did winning uh Okay, then the Emmy. your streamer. 
Is he the guy that puts it on the internet? Yes, that that's Speedy right there. The other guy right across okay. from me, right over here, with the glasses. On. Then what's Mark do? Mark, Mark, Mark is ex NFL player. Is a f- former NFL player. He does he does mountain climbing. No, he okay, did the seven the summits. Who who's the guy? Some guy started following me. Somebody followed you. Who's this? <laughs> okay, who's the guy that sent me the link the other day? That would be Speedy. That was that was my email, but I didn't. Fo- I followed your 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 Twitter, your your TV account. Okay, that was that you. was that was me. Yes, look at you. You got a fan now. I mean, yeah, I followed your your yeah. your your Kenny TV or whatever. You're a your superstar, Twitter. Ken. You are a superstar. Glad and to Snug's have you. Snug's a fan. So there Snug, you go. Of course, Snug's, Snug's been a fan for Snug a while. Loves you. Snug loves you. Okay. If if not if, too many callers get a fan that's also a caller. Yeah, there you go. So now, oh, you have... Stark says he also followed you on Twitter. <laughs> there you go. You're, All right, cool. You're a star, man. You are a star. Kenny, thank you for calling, bud. All right, and I'm gonna call the other shows on the network. There you go, man. Keep it up, like, man. I'll call that Jet fan uh, calling show a uh, show, and I'll hate on the Jets. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Kenny. Thank you for hurting everybody's. Feelings. I already told them that the Jets will always suck. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Kenny, for your craziness. All right. Kenny is back, ladies and gentlemen, and being what Kenny has always been. Stark says, are, poss- uh, are possums sexy? Possums are a solid four. Speedy's dog is like an eight. Uh, possums can help me anytime with cupcakes. I often chase the ice cream truck. Yay, Kenny. Kenny TV is blowing up. Kenny TV. There is no Kenny TV. It was suspended. <laughs> All right. So now here's the next painting idea. So now mm. Kenny on the elephant chasing mm. geese. Ah, that would be an interesting picture. Yeah, Could great. you imagine Kenny great, sitting on an elephant chasing? It, has to, it, it probably has to be like one of those wide, like large paintings. Mm. And just a whole, a whole field. Kenny just riding an elephant chasing geese. You know, Kenny is a Giant fan, and he, he talks trash about the Jets, but what about his Giants? I mean, does he really think that the Giants are going to be better than the Jets this year? I, I, I don't know about that. But, no, he's right. He was, he was in the Weapons Hot comment section trolling them. Of course he was. <laughs> trolling them. And I'm like, oh, they already have guys doing that. <laughs> They're all Jets fans. We can have Kenny ride Jeff. I mean, that's the closest thing we have to an elephant. <laughs> Just kidding, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff would probably say Jeff would probably say that would be Tyler, but then Tyler wouldn't be able to move. This would be his response. Well, Tyler is an interesting cat himself. I mean, did you see Kyler? Did you see Tyler's hair? No, I didn't. Oh my god, man! Oh my god! Is it like getting balder? Is it, <laughs> what is he doing to himself? I mean, seriously. At this point, he better just, he might just better off be better off dyeing his hair to at least to show some resemblance of color. He doesn't have any hair anymore. <laughs> exactly. At least dye it a vibrant color. He wears color these so big glasses that his facial features just pop out at you, like scary pop out at you. I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Tyler. I mean, if if you ask me, Tyler needs to get out more. I think. Uh, Anyway, Snug says Tyler is bringing sexy back. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. If, if that's what you call sexy. Tyler and Kenny. On the, Tyler, Kenny, and my dog, apparently, on the list of Snug's sexy list. Oh, look at this. Giants will be better than the Jets. Okay. I'll tell you what, Kenny. I'll make a bet with you. All right? 
You owe us a Thanksgiving dinner. Okay? If the Jets have a better record than the Giants this year, you, my friend, have to come out here and pay for a Christmas dinner. You will have to come out here and pay for Christmas dinner for all the people that are going to come out here. And you have to make Errol a six-egg meal. Six-egg meal. <laughs> Two, in addition to the Christmas dinner. Uh, Snug says, Tyler and Kenny outpicking chicks. Are you kidding me? Outpicking up I chicks. Would, uh, what would Kenny's pickup line be with that, Snug? I don't know what that would be. Kenny, um, I chase geese. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I was chasing geese. Oh, sorry, I bumped into you. Uh, and then you just go on from there. <laughs> Do you have fur? Sex <laughs> like double or nothing on the turkey dinner. Kitty, 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 kitty. Um, finishing up with Roquan Smith, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I, I think where the other teams that we were talking about, Tennessee, and uh, I, I, I believe that he's going to go to a team that needs him but also a team that has the money that they can afford him. So the three teams that I predicted that could be a landing spot for him, there are quite a few other teams that you could look at that could have a chance in getting him. Uh, But more NFC teams than AFC teams because of how weak the NFC is. I I just – I don't know if – if an AFC team is going to make a move like that and bring in Roquan Smith. So I, I think it's going to be a better chance that an NFC team is going to get him than an AFC team. The one other thing to wonder, too, is with a new GM now with Ryan Poilas in Chicago, is he going to be so stingy to realize, all right, this team isn't going to be going anywhere anyway. Let's get the best offer where an NFC team might be able to afford to do that or rather be stingy in the conference itself, too, because I'm looking at a lot of the teams that have salary cap space. Uh, the Packers, who are in their own division, are a team that definitely could that could definitely help them because they're a team that's had issues with run defense. Washington is a team that's had some injuries with veteran linebackers in the past, too. And even a lot of the teams we mentioned as being rumored in the, in the NFC are the ones with the salary cap. So probably the best offers would come from there. The Raiders, if they were to try to trade for him from the AFC, might not have as much. Same thing with the Titans, too. Don't have a lot of draft stock and a lot of money kind of thing. So I know Jeff was saying Atlanta was going to be the one to make the push, but I just don't think that makes a lot of sense. But it'll be interesting to see what direction the Bears go in with that, too, and how much his value could end up falling because he's a young, pretty durable linebacker that can cover, and those things are very hard to find. That being said, it's not being valued as much in today's NFL, where you're not gonna be, you might not be able to get the multiple first-round picks you would be for a pass rusher or a corner type thing, but you could still probably get a first-round pick if you find the right team. Oh, look who's calling back again. Kenny. Kenny, what I'm saying you're the guy that says what you are going to win if you win the bet. What if I win? What do I get? Uh, what do you want? Uh, what do you want? Not to make you a turkey dinner. Not, but you have to make me a turkey dinner because. So you're going to call off the great turkey dinner from 2018, just if the Giants finish a game better than the Jets. Okay, about the turkey dinner includes somebody that used to play on the Giants. You pick who. Hold on one second. So here's the deal: if you if the Giants have a better record than the Jets. I'll take you out to a jerky dinner, and I'll bring Brandon Jacobs along. How's that? And I'll pay for him so you you get to meet Brandon Jacobs. How's that sound? 
sounds great. Okay, but but if you lose, now you're gonna have to do something for me. Oh, uh, it's a Christmas dinner with all the fixings. You gotta wear. You gotta go to Christmas dinner, and you have to make a painting of you sitting on an elephant chasing geese into the water. Oh, I have an option, too. I don't know if I can paint that, but... Brandon Jacobs brings his son and he tackles Kenny. (laughs) That's a good idea. Brandon Jacobs' 300-pound offensive lineman's son has to tackle you. (laughs) That's even better. I don't think he would do that. (laughs) I don't think he wants to kill Kenny. He's twice the he's twice the size. Kenny, this kid's fifteen years old. He's six foot six, over three hundred pounds. Yeah, he's he's six six three oh five, and he's like fifty sixty pounds bigger than Brandon is right now. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. But we'll we'll figure it out. But uh, yeah, let's do it. I have no problems making that bet with you, Kenny. All right. All right. It's a bet. All right. Good old Kenster calling up again. You know, making bets, but we'll get Brandon to come out. I, I've already talked to Brandon about it. Brand, I'm going to take Brandon and his son out to uh, a game. Uh, what, what, what was the you deal? You said the Giants-Jets game next year next if year. they were, if they're both competitive. Well, yes, and I'm going to do that. I, uh, that was my bet with them, and he already said he'll come. So uh, it's on me. I'm going to take him. We'll get good seats, you know, and uh, it'll be on me. It'll be fun. It'll be fun going to a Giant game and – Watching Brandon go crazy about his team if they're losing. So, says, you take him to Miller's Ale House for barbecue wings and lemonade. He has to be nude in the painting. Oh, God. Do we really want to go there, Snug? I do not want to see Kenny nude, okay? That's for damn sure. I do not uh. want to see Kenny nude. But uh, it would be interesting. Snug, if you wanted to go see Kenny nude, you make the painting. I, you know, I think, I, I think Jeff would be interested in seeing Kenny nude, don't you think? I don't know about Jeff. I haven't heard from Jeff. That doesn't seem like something that would be of his interest. My birthday is next week. What's everyone getting me? (laughs) Is it his birthday next week? It's Jeff's birthday next week. I I wouldn't wouldn't have known. He likes cash. Jeff likes cash. So we'll figure it out. I'll get Jeff something. I mean, he didn't get me anything for my birthday. I mean, it was my 40th. I mean, Jeff did nothing. He did absolutely nothing for my 40th birthday. He pretty much told me to go to hell, all right? He probably criticized the Jets in your order. Yeah, but he, he wants me to, you know, give him cash. So how about I get him a bottle of something and send that to him? What do you think about that? Yeah. Uh, no. Nice, big, huge bottle of something? Yeah, I'm sure he does a variety of different options of that. <laughs> Sucks I could get you an art, a nude autographed candy bag. No, thank you. <laughs> I'm sure he would do it for you. I mean, if you want an autograph naked picture of Kenny, so sure. you could just do it for yourself. I'm sure you you would just t- do a bunch of them and, and put them all over your your desk or whatever. I think it, I think it would be interesting to see <laughs> Kenny and Snug with their arms around each other, <laughs> naked, and then signing it together, <laughs> and a Snug and, and 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 a little cat fur over there. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> Cat fur. Add some geese while you're at it. Some geese feathers. Geese feathers uh, for Kenny and cat fur for Snug. That would be interesting, right? All with an elephant in the background. An elephant? All with an elephant. How about them sitting on an elephant together? Yeah, there you go. That would be funny. Oh, here here it is. Perfect. So the the cat and geese fur and feathers on them. Both nude. Sitting on the elephant. Oh, the elephant has a giant cupcake in its uh 
it, it's Tusk or whatever it is. I forget mm. what the name of it is. No, I think them just sitting on it naked together. All right, I think fine. it'll be fine. <laughs> fine. Kenny in front, by the way, as Snug is sitting in the back. Jeff uh, says, Kenny Snug and Aaron Rodgers all geeked up, geeked up on Ayahuasca. <laughs> it would be epic. Snug says, LOL, I'd sign in Gaffer with Kenny. <laughs> Ayahuasca. Oh, that is a cool man. name. I don't know what it is, but it's a cool name. I, I think Kenny just left because he just want to hear it anymore. But I love Kenny. Kenny is a funny dude, man. He really is. Definitely happy to have him back and listening to the show and being Kenny. And by the way, Mark Patterson really liked him. Yeah, <laughs> he mentioned it like five times. Yeah, in the interview. he likes him. Kenny, perfect for the eighty for the eighty three Super Bowl champion Raiders. So now. If time travel does exist, that is a scenario we have to see. Kenny hanging out with the 83 Raiders. Um, Snug says, I'd love to trip balls with Kenny and Aaron Rodgers. That would be interesting. <laughs> Kenny, Aaron Rodgers, and Snug tripping. <laughs> Could you imagine that? The cycle of Kenny. Where will he end up next? He'd probably think he was a goose, you know? <laughs> And he'd probably sit there, you know, thinking that so the then geese he are chase his, himself. his family. Yeah. <laughs> so then he chases himself. That's after he gets Crossing the street with the geese. I am one of you. I am one of you. And then the geese uh, just run. I'm like, nah, you're not worthy. Could you imagine him following? You know how geese cross the street? Yeah. And Kenny's on his hands and knees pretending he's a ge- goose or something. That would be funny. Go- go- geese crossing side, except Kenny. That would be funny. Anyways. Uh, the Knicks are looking to facilitate a three-way deal with the Lakers and the Utah Jazz. This is going to be very, very hard, and I'm going to tell you why. Because most uh, people that bring in, you know, most teams that bring in three-way trades, three-team trades, the team that is getting the better player has to give up the most. And you look at the Knicks, the best player in this trade would be Donovan Mitchell, okay? Which means we were talking about the Knicks not have to giving away, you know, Obi Toppin, Grimes, or quickly. Now I'm hearing that the Knicks are going to have to give two out of the three away and seven first-round draft picks, even bringing in Russell Westbrook in the trade. If I'm the Knicks, I don't do it. I'm not doing it because I'm giving away – my future. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell's is a fantastic player. I like him a lot. I think he's great. Does he fit the culture of the New York Knicks? Does he give you that boost that's going to give you an opportunity to compete for a championship? And the answer is no. So to get rid of Grimes, who is really in the summer league, he looked fantastic. He was one of the best players throughout the league in the summer league. That's how good he was. Go look at the video and, and the shooting ability that he had and his shots getting better. I told everybody, you know what it reminds me of? Devin Booker. Mm-hmm. He reminds me of Devin Booker. But to give up, uh, by the way, Jeff is saying they won't, ha- they won't be giving up seven picks. Some of what they will do is swap offer swaps. That's not what I'm reading. I'm reading that uh, to, to get Donovan Mitchell and bring in a three-way trade – uh, Russell Westbrook would have to go to Utah. They buy him out. Um, Utah would get four first-round draft picks and Grimes. And the uh, the Lakers would get three first-round draft picks. They would get rid of Russell Westbrook's contract, which they'd have room to bring in another player. 
which then they get back some of their first round draft picks, which right. the, the Knicks are, you know, giving them away and giving them back to. So, yeah. um, they would have to be close to seven. That's what I'm hearing. So I, I don't know how this makes sense for the Knicks. No, not at all. That is way too much. There's not a single player that is worth that price. One individual player. Donovan Mitchell's a great young player, no question. But you're talking about that type of hefty package maybe only applying to somebody like Luka Doncic, and that might be it. Maybe Giannis. That's probably it in the league of players I would take for that. For a player those are young, players that are young and durable and well-rounded. Like, that's what it would take. Seven first-round picks and you're losing two young players is just total insanity. And the Lakers are in a tough spot, too, and I, I, I guess that's why they were trying to bring, in, bring themselves in to help out with this kind of thing, try to get some extra draft picks to help with this kind of operation. So now you're going to give them three picks. You're going to give the Jazz four, and you're giving them two young players, and you're just getting one player in Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell's great, but what if he gets hurt? Donovan Mitchell, what if he doesn't mesh well? What if he doesn't improve? Like, that's the price that it comes for with seven picks and all those players. It's too much. And in three years, Donovan Mitchell could opt out and, yeah. and go somewhere else. Right. And then you could be just like the Brooklyn Nets were when KD, uh, KG and Paul Pierce decided to retire. Right. They didn't want to be there anymore. There's too much to risk on one player for doing all of that. All the manipulation for... Draft picks, contract. I know, you, Jeff, you were saying pick swaps, but that still is something that could be a drastic difference in picks. It's not worth it for one player. Danny Ainge, if he's thinking this is realistic, you have to stop. It's not. There is, again, those two players I listed, Giannis and Luka Doncic, maybe are the only two players that might be worth it at this point for that hefty. You know what they're going to say? You know what Jeff's going to say? It's very simple. Those picks are not lottery picks. With the Knicks, and Which if they get Don- and if they get Donovan Mitchell, they're they're a top seven, top eight team, so they make the playoffs every year. So the they're, they're going to be out of the lottery stakes and the fourteen top picks. So uh, obviously, that's why Jeff probably says that seven first round draft picks are really, really seven second round draft picks if they get Donovan. Maybe, Mitchell. but you have to play well in order to do that. So, by the way, Jeff is on. What's up, Jeff? How are you, gentlemen? We're good, man. Yeah, you're not going to give up seven picks because you can't. You can't give seven picks in a row, anyways. You can. The most you can do now is every other year. Every right? other year, and but you you can give up seven picks. Right, but they, that's not going to happen. They're not going to wait 14 years to cash in on all of these picks. Well, they have you know, they have Dallas's pick coming up this year in the first round, so that's two first round draft picks this year. And it, the not next year after that, but the year after that, I I'm pretty sure the Knicks have two first round draft picks there. That's yeah, they four. got one from Detroit, and then they That's got four. one. Yeah, they got the one from the Hornets. Oh no, not the Hornets. No, the, uh, Detroit, the, uh, Detroit, and uh, OKC. That's what it was. OKC. They got they have, from. Yeah. But what you're not factoring in is the idiot tax. No one wants to go there, right? So you have to eventually pay tax to get somebody to. That would attract other players. It happens everywhere. You got to pay the idiot because it's either that or let's wait two years until he's a free agent, which it doesn't seem like the Knicks want to do. No, they don't because in three years he'd be twenty-eight years old, and then you're gonna have to pay him over two hundred million dollars because that's what he's going to be demanding. And with the new CBA, uh, I, what it was it was it three more years, and then the new CBA has to be negotiated again. 
So you're talking about, you know, right now players of other teams, your own team can make over $200 million. I believe in three years it doesn't matter what team you're playing for or what team you're coming from, you're going to make $200 million. So so just pay it and be done with it, and then you'd be better quicker because what's the point of having the 26th, 7th, 8th pit? Like, they're going to be a good team, right? They're going to be 24th, 25th, like in that area. And I know some of those guys can end up being good players. Can we just be honest? 99% of the time, they blow donkey balls. You're probably right. I, like, but knowing the Knicks don't luck, mean anything. But knowing the Knicks luck, two out of the five or two out of the seven are going to be sensational superstar players. It doesn't matter because it doesn't matter because that might also might not be the guy that the Knicks would have picked. Well, that's it true. doesn't translate. It doesn't translate because if you have Donovan Mitchell on your team and the jazz draft a point guard and that point guard ends up being the next Michael Jordan, well, it doesn't matter for you because you wouldn't have taken a point guard. Yeah. I mean, you can look at it that way. There's a lot of ways you can look at it, Jeff. There's a lot of so, ways. It just is what it is, man. So just pay the tax, get your guy, and and be done with it. I I, I think eventually the Knicks will bite down and they'll make this move. It, uh, uh, we had two Nick experts on the show, and he said both of them said that uh, this this trade is going to go all the way into almost camp. There, there, it's not going to happen right away. I think eventually they're going to agree to something and and they're going to make the swap, but. It's not going to happen. Maybe you guys can trade Makai Becton to Utah. Maybe. I mean, right now, Makai Becton. That's bad pig. What's he been doing in New York? Has he just been hanging out in the buffets with Tyler the whole time he's well, been there? Well, he lost 40 pounds as fast as he did. So uh, uh, did, did he lose 40 pounds he lost 40 or did pounds. he just take a shit? No, he lost 40 pounds. They said he lost 40 pounds in two months. That's a lot. I mean, he, uh, that's I mean, that's – Way too much to lose in two months. Like that's yeah. It was four hundred I mean, pounds like, when they weighed him going into camp when it opened. He was, I think, three fifty two. Well, think about how bad that is, right? Like, think about even being four hundred pounds. Like, even at that height and whatever. Like, that's that's a lot of weight, dude. It's a lot of weight. That's like that's Zion Williamson's stuff. Yeah, Zion Williamson's muscle. There's a difference there. No, he's not all muscle. Stop lying to yourself. But he's not fat. He's not all Stop fat. Stop lying to you. He is fat. He is fat. That's why his shoes blew out in college was because he's fat. Dude. And now he's gotten to <laughs> go look at, New Orleans. Go look at Zion Williamson. He is not he fat, dude. He is he not is fat. fat. He is not he's fat. He's a fat pig. Go, uh, do you want me to send you pictures? If he wasn't fat, then why was it New Orleans wouldn't play him until he lost weight? It's because he was fat. I, I don't know because I, I watched – I watched him quite a few times, and you know, obviously not last year because he was hurt, but the year before that, he looked pretty damn good, and he did not look. And fat. I think it's, it's a, well, I think it's, I think it's an optical illusion to you. You don't really know what fat is because you've been looking at Tyler for so long <laughs> that like everything else just seems skinny all of a sudden. I'm telling you that he Zion Williamson is not fat. He's just a built muscle. He's fat. He's muscle, dude. He's muscle tone. Go look at him. Go look he's at fat. him two years ago. He's not. I know he's fat. He's not. He's not fat. What are you talking about? He's not. They wouldn't play him until he lost weight. That was the whole thing. And Charles Barkley's ripping into him. You're too fat because, you know, all these other things. He was. He was fat. He was overweight. They wouldn't play him. Why? Fat. <laughs> That's coming from Jeff, ladies and gentlemen. That's not coming from me. That was coming from everyone in the NBA, Charles Barkley included. Charles Barkley yeah. got in trouble on TV, remember? 
Oh, Zion yeah. Williamson's too fat, and everyone was like, "Oh, he's fat." Shaming. Let's take Zion advice. Was fat. Let's take advice from a guy that's overweight himself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously, yeah, he can be overweight. He ain't playing no more. When he was playing, he dropped weight all the time, dude. He was and overweight. He was in good shape, dude. He was overweight when he played too. Remember when I'm on? Remember him on Phoenix? Oh, he was in good shape when he was in when he was in Phoenix, dude. He was also he was very in good shape. He lost weight. He, he even did the whole podcast thing and said he lost weight. So he could go play with, uh, you know, so he could be good with Dan Marley and Kevin Johnson. Dude, Zion Williamson is just built like an ox. Fat. He's he's not fat. Where do you see fat? Go uh, look at his pictures. Go look at his pictures. Where is he fat? Dude, the guy is built like an everywhere. ox. No, he's not. He's built like an ox. Go look at his arms. Go look at his arms. He he probably has oh, one of the biggest. Big dude. Oh, dude, he is a big dude. He is not fat. He's muscular. He's 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 lugging around around a lot of muscle, and and doing that you put a lot of weight on your ankles and your knees. He he is built like an ox, dude. There's no way he's fat. All right, I I see them so post there's up. There's no the, way he's fat. No, dude. So there's no way he's fat. But no. Zion Williamson's contract has a weight and body fat percentage clause. Body, but yeah. because that's not that, and they put that in there because he isn't fat. They put it in there because they want him to stay healthy. That's oh, that, oh, that's right. That's what it is. I always see super skinny people, and we put in your contract a, uh, go, a clause. Go just, look to, at, just to keep you skinny. Go look that's at, why, that's go why, look that's at Zion like, Williamson. It's like the Kyla Murray thing. It's like the Kyla Murray the thing. The year before last year when he was playing, because you you're going to tell me Zion Williamson was fat? Dude, Zion Williamson last year? Fat. No, I don't care what you say. He was fat. not. He was not. Then why, then why, when they gave him this new contract, did they put in a, a weight and body fat percentage clause? Because he Be- was fat. Because they want him to stay healthy, and that's a way they can get out of it if he doesn't. It might be a way to get it quicker, too. Or be have to be more motivated in that sense. Not because they wouldn't play him otherwise. Last year, cl- last year, I think, also, they didn't want to mess I'm with looking at his too. pictures from last year. Not last year, the year before that when he was playing. The guy is in physically great shape. Right, the year before, and then he got hurt and just sat around at Panda Express with Tyler, and he ballooned up. <laughs> Snook says, Zion is the king of the Benet, Thunder Dan, and Tracy McGrady had that weight thing in his contract too, LOL. No, yeah, he did. And by the way, and, 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 right, Charles Barkley gets brutal with overweight Zion Williamson because he wasn't fat, right? A, a, a shit ton of articles here. It's like the first thing that comes up every time, but it's because he wasn't that. He got hurt, blew up like a tick. He looked like Tyler last year. <laughs> well, blew up like a tick. That's why they put the weight thing in. And it's also a dangerous thing because people have to put weight clauses in your contract. Dude's like 21. It's only going to get, what do you think? Your metabolism gets better? It gets worse. Ask Tyler. <laughs> Yes, Tyler. And Tyler, I think Tyler during the draft was one that was bashing him for that, ironically. I mean, the dude's 21 is already having a weight issue, so they put a weight clause in his contract. Everyone's calling fat Charles Barkley. Everyone. He couldn't play last year because he got hurt and he ballooned up and he got fat. And you're trying to say, oh, he's not fat. Yeah, no, he got fat last year. Maybe not the year before. Last year, he got fat. He did. Well, when he was drafted, he was 280 pounds of muscle, okay? He was 280 Great. pounds of muscle. Great. That's fine. What about last year? When he got drafted was now you, you, three uh, years ago. When he got drafted was now three years when ago. When people said 19. that the guy was overweight and stuff like that, he took off his shirt. He had a six-pack. 
I don't, I don't know how old is he. Well, how old is he? 22. 21 or 20? He's 22. 22. He's 22. 22. He was drafted just, in 2019. Yeah. Six foot six, 284 pounds. Right, but even at 22, should, should a 22-year-old have a fat clause in their contract? I don't know. Go back. Go back. Hey, I don't you, look you at everybody. To, I don't look at everybody's contracts. And, and it doesn't even matter. You can just use common sense, right? Just use common sense. Go back. Just get close your eyes and in your brain. Go. What did Charles Barkley look when he was drafted? Much smaller. Oh my God. What did Shaquille O'Neal look with look like when he got drafted? And then and then Shaq looks like he got stung by a bee and blew up by the end of his career. <laughs> Didn't he? The Diesel. Well. The diesel so the that apparently thing, got stung by a bee. So but the Shaq was, isn't, isn't going to get better. Shaq, but Shaq at one point, you know, when he not when Orlando, when he came into the league, but when he went to L.A., he was getting fat. He was getting fat. Right, yeah. right but um, all I'm saying is look at guys at the beginning of their career when they just come out of college, which basically Zion just did. He's three years in. Who yep. cares, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Every one of these guys was small and skinny and whatever. And it's a problem. This early in your career, you have a weight clause in your contract because the weight thing isn't going to get better. No, but it also, it also is something, too, and this probably relates to the Becton thing as well. Somebody that big being asked to do everything that he does, too, because that was a big thing that like everyone loved him <clears> for, <throat> was being a freak athlete, not just being big. Like He's, he's skilled. He's fast, too, and that was one of the things that they got him for. The same thing we were talking about with Mackay Becton. Mackay Becton was highly touted out of the draft because he moved so well for his size at 340 Mackay pounds. Be- Mackay Becton was a reach. He wasn't even the dude there. He, no one was talking about him, and they reached and got him. There were other dudes in that draft. That was a very tackle-heavy heavy draft. Yeah, Worfs went later, and he's been great. Just because he was yeah. big. That's right. why they liked him. They should have known from the very beginning, Louisville is not a football school. Never take someone from Louisville. They all stink. <laughs> well, yeah, th- but, but even so, you're right. Tristan Worfs would have been the better pick they there because he's been an all-pro player as a right tackle. But also – Think about th- that was why he was highly touted for being a unique prototype. But at the same time, somebody of that body type, too, is not going to be one that's going to stay healthy. And now they're seeing it twice. And that's the same problem with a lot of these tight ends that get hurt all the time now, too. They're trying to put them in more speed roles and in a faster game. And it's it just sometimes it's backfired for those positions, too. <clears throat> Tackles, tight ends, even some guys that are bulk linebackers, pass rushers, stuff like that. But, but you don't want to take a, a, a young dude that's already big. You don't want to do that. You don't want to take a Mekhi Beckham or a Zion Williamson. Because, like I said, the weight problem only gets worse. Like, look at Chet Holmgren. Is, is anyone complaining Chet Holmgren is too, is too skinny? No, no one's complaining he's too skinny. Because you're going to send him on vacation for a week with Tyler, and all of a sudden he's going to come back looking <laughs> like a god. Right? It's easier to put weight on than it is to take weight off. Oh, poor Tyler. I mean, <laughs> he's not even security guarding anymore, I was told. He needs time away from everybody, but every time I see him time away from everybody, he's drinking or doing something else. Maybe he should well, go chase geese like Kenny. For not having him there. That bar got safer for not having him there. He should go chase geese yeah. like Kenny. <laughs> right, but like that's the problem you want to have. You want to have the Chet Holmgren problem where they're like, oh. Let's take this kid out to eat every night. Like, that's the problem you want. You don't want the, pro- the Zion Williamson problem where you're like, dude, lock up the cabinets at night. Put, sh- put a lock and chain on the refrigerator for this fat pig. Let's <laughs> starve him.
That's tough. I don't think that would be very good either, but okay. Right. Yeah, because it's not good. It's healthy. It actually hurts your muscles and, and does other things. It's really detrimental to you. Yes. Right. So that's the problem. Do you think, like, he's 22. He should be in the best shape of his life. Mm. He shouldn't be lo- looking like old man Shaquille O'Neal at this point in his career. No. Because he's fat. Thank you, Jeff. He is. He's fat. No? We really appreciate your take, by the way. Uh, it's a good take. He's fat. He's fat. He's Black Tyler. He's <laughs> Black Tyler. Stark says, nothing better than a quiet evening at home with a bottle of strawberry henny. Uh, check out Sean Kemp before and after as well. I've seen Sean Kemp before. but he- Dude, Sean Kemp was a god when he was young, and then he got really fat. Yes, he did. Yeah. yeah. He did. They all get fatter. Right? So to 22 years old, is this a good thing to have? Probably not. Well... Herschel Walker didn't get fatter. He got skinnier. He got dumber. <laughs> Why did he get dumber? He's, have you heard that dude talk lately? Yeah, Stupid he's running. Yeah, he's running wrong. for some kind of political thing now in Georgia. Walker? Yeah, uh, yeah his, Herschel his, Walker. His, yeah, he's running for Senate in Georgia. You yeah. should hear some of his speeches. They are wild. <laughs> well, it's what? literally as if Aaron Hernandez's brain is running for Senate. Oh God, <laughs> that bad, huh? It can't be that bad. Don't take my word for it. Just go listen to him talk. <laughs> Is he a Republican or a Democrat? Yes, he's a Republican. Uh, that's why he hates him. I've got it. <laughs> you, know, you think that that's why I'm, uh, th- th- you think that's why I hate him at all? Dude, do yourself a favor. Go watch some of the speeches. Get back to me. I will. I'll Just go watch them for yourself. I, no commentary here. Just go watch them for I'll yourself. I'll check it out. Back I'll check it out. Why not? Yeah, I'm not into the politic thing, but I'll I'll check he it out. He is he is an interesting human. Hmm. That's for sure. You would think that this dude played football without a helmet. He probably did. I mean, well, he didn't. Well, we've know. seen all of his games. All of them had helmets. He did play for the Cowboys, you know. Well, that's just terrible luck. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you can't hold that against them. <laughs> Well, he, he played for the Cowboys in the in the eighties when they didn't win a Super Bowl. That's right. So we can only—he's he, the only like old old cowboy you could say that didn't win a Super Bowl. Well, not the only one, but one of the only ones that you could say didn't win a Super Snug. Bowl. Now, now it's now it's you're better. You're lucky if you get to a conference championship Snug, game. Uh, Snug says Kenny in 2024. Kenny for president. Oh, could you imagine? By the way, you saw the video. I'm going to bring this up again just because of just how hard it made me. Right. You saw the video of Jordan Davis just plowing through people, yes. correct? Yes, you made note of it on Twitter, Jeff. I know. <laughs> Did you guys not hear me when I was talking about the draft and I was like Jordan Davis, by the way? Like Jordan Davis. Who did I want the Patriots to get? Yes, there? I remember. Ever? I remember. Jordan yes. Davis. Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis. I didn't it, see it, the video. I have to check out the video. Dude, he plows over the Eagles starting center like the dude wasn't even standing there. <laughs> didn't he, Speedy? Yeah, no, he would have thought Jordan Davis was probably 100 pounds bigger than him. And it, 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 it's, actually, it's actually one of the Eagles, I think, third biggest linemen or something like that. Dude, do, do you want to know what it looks like, honestly? I think because this would be a decent comparison of how it looks. Send it to me, Because you got to keep in mind that it's two professional football players, but it honestly looks like a high school senior taking on a high school freshman. <laughs> now, Jeff, which lineman was it? Was it was it Landon Dickerson or was it uh was it the rookie center they just drafted? I think it was the rookie kid they just drafted. Okay. 
Oh, hold on. I, I think I found something. Hold on. I'm looking. I'm, I'm trying to find it. Right Go here. to the Twitter machine and just type in Jordan Davis. Oh, I'm watching it right now. Oh, he's just toying. He's got me. that dude on roller skates, bro. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't that what it looks like? Doesn't it look like a high school senior taking on like a high school freshman? Like yeah. that? Like the, the freshman's just so overmatched. Yeah, but it looks like a, a lot smaller of a guy. You know what? Well, it's a center. Yeah. And you're also forgetting that Jordan Davis is probably the largest human on that football team. Might even be one of the biggest dudes in the whole league. Yeah, but that center dude, he looks thin. He doesn't look that big. Yeah, he's They're not a he's not a big center football but... player. They're both professional football players. But I, I also think I saw something. He's the third biggest it, lineman it, on the Eagles. If if Kelsey was there, I don't think he'd be pushing Kelsey like that. You know what I mean? Uh, let's see it. Uh, let's get the matchup going because Jordan Davis is going to be dry humping Dak Prescott up and down the field when they play. And it's going to be glorious. Pig Mike is going to be all sad. Pig Mike. <laughs> it's the beat. He thinks, he's, he thinks he's sad about this Truba thing. Wait till Dak Prescott has his left foot on backwards. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Can't wait to watch Jordan Davis pull off one of Dak Prescott's limbs and take it home like a trophy. And then he'd probably feed it to Zion Williamson. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Jeff. Oh, God. Jeff from Tampa, ladies and gentlemen. Wonderful guy. He really is. Uh, well, we got a little bit of everything in Jeff, Jeff's call. Jeff, bashing, bashing Tyler, bashing the Jets, bashing Penny. the Cowboys, and praising Jordan Davis. All in one. We got Mike that called earlier. Then we had Kenny. And now Jeff. Wonderful. Kenny twice, keep in mind. Yeah, well, Kenny wanted he had to, to make his bet. Well, he wanted to make the bet. But Ken, just remember, Kenny has to, you know, he has to do something else. It's not just that. Yeah, that's right. Well, I have to figure out something else that he has to do. But Jeff is a fine gentleman, as what Snug says. So, uh, you know, obviously there's some kind of infatuation with Snug and Jeff for some reason. I don't know what it is. But it's an infatuation. <laughs> as indicated, Jeff is a fine gentleman. <laughs> And Jordan Davis is amazing. Uh, the Yankees lose Matt Carpenter for a foot fra- in a foot fracture yesterday, uh, late last night against Seattle. Um, it's a big loss. It is a real big loss. If you're a Yankee fan right now, uh, the Yankees are fighting injury right now and bad injuries. Yeah. I mean, you lost Giancarlo Stanton for a significant amount of time. Uh, Anthony Rizzo. Now you're losing a play of this magnitude. And Matt, Matt Carpenter has been the heart and soul since he's come to the Yankees. Besides, uh, obviously, Aaron Judge, the second-best hitter in the Yankees was who? Carpenter. Matt Carpenter. Second-best OPS on the team. Yeah, yeah. so it, it, to lose him, it's, it's a significant loss. And broken foot, I mean, you're talking about at least three months. Mm-hmm. At least three months. So, uh, Jeff says, I want that 1K I lost out on for fighting <laughs> Tyler. Oh. <laughs> That wasn't my fault. The, the fight that shouldn't have happened. Tyler didn't want to fight you. Yeah. That wasn't that's my not, fault. That's not your fault. You did all the planning of that. But, yeah. Yeah, Carpenter. He was afraid. Yeah. Carpenter, going back to that, though, he was that 
extra spark that the Yankees needed. We knew Judge was gonna, if he's healthy, he's gonna do his thing. Stanton, when healthy, he's gonna do his thing. Yeah. But who was that like random guy, that breakout guy? That was Matt Carpenter in the Yankees lineup. And from a power standpoint, too, drove in runs, hit in the clutch. He did a lot of different things for that Yankee team out of nowhere, too. This was a guy that. His last great season was 2018. Was bumping around the minor leagues and the, with the Cardinals, then with the Rangers. Like it, this is a guy that hadn't played, and all of a sudden got rebirthed that way. And some, that's something that can rally, that a team can rally around too. And it's just not going to be the same kind of thing without him. Now they're going to have to find somebody else that's sort what of. What is role. it? What is it with the Yankee fans? Now, did anybody think that the Yankees were going to just like run away with the American League? Now. I told everybody that the Yankees were going to go through a skid like this where they're going to lose seven or eight games, and then they'll win five or six games. This is the Yankees, guys, and this is the way the Yankees play. What the Yankees need to do is try to get healthy before the playoffs because that's where they're going to have to show themselves to be the team that we expect them to be. Who is that, Jeff again? Jeff again. What's up, Jeff? The question was, what is it with Yankee fans? And I have the answer. Oh, God, yeah. They're the worst people on the planet. They're New Yorkers. They're mouth breathers. They don't even deserve to live. These people are atrocious. They're throwing bottles at Guardians players. They threw a ball at Verdugo. They're starting fights in the stands. They are scumbags. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. He's gone. Oh, (laughs) Jeff. You know, it wouldn't be a show without Jeff, but uh, uh, his hatred for New Yorkers is ridiculous. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him, uh, his takes on certain things, but to take shots at New Yorkers the way he does. And and I don't care what he says, even though he says that Boston people could be all that too, he, he never puts down Boston people. Never. He never does. He, he, I think he thinks they're perfect. Yeah, I'm but, sure he does. You know, even though how many analysts have we had on the show tell us that Boston fans are the worst? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and he won't admit to it because that's Jeff. And the former player, Josh, uh, Josh Towers. Yeah, I mean, Josh Towers told us straight out. He said how bad Boston fans yeah. are. He said two different occasions. Once when he was with the Orioles, once he was with the Blue Jays. He said they're absolutely ridiculous and racist. So, whatever. I, I mean... But to get back with the Yankees, I, I think we, where the Yankees have to be, and this gives a chance for uh, Miguel Andahar to, to, to prove himself where the Yankees can move him in the offseason. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, tonight there, it's 0 0. It, it's the sixth inning. They're not hitting. And this has been they're the. They're getting Yanke- shut out by uh, Luis Castillo, who they almost traded for. And then Garrett Cole, who's been pitching well in this game. Yes. He pitched like crap the last game he pitched, but he's pitching well in this game. But. Is he going to be able to hold this up? I mean, I mean, being that it's in Seattle, and I don't know, man. The Yankees are starting to worry me because I'm happy that Zach Britton's coming back. There were there was a story that came out after this absolutely bad two weeks for the Yankees that Zach Britton, Britton is coming back a lot faster than anybody thought he was, hmm. and and to lose King and and Zach Britton wasn't 100 percent healthy. The year that he tore his UCL, he actually right. said that he was playing with a partially torn UCL. Yeah, and so come back the same. that's probably why he wasn't the same pitcher. I think this year he's going to be 100% healthy. I think this is a 
big you know gain for the Yankees, especially losing King the way they did. Yeah, and you, you're not. I don't think you're going to expect Britain to come back the same way as he was, like no. his peak form. But at least somewhere in between that and what he was last year would be a big boost for the Yankees bullpen for sure. Gives Plus another a lefty. strong arm. Yeah, another lefty too. Never hurts play matchups when you need to be able to win those tight postseason games too. And also, teams don't have a lot of tape on him because he hasn't pitched much recently. That might be an advantage for the Yankees. Maybe Zach Britton's developing a different type of pitching style too mm-hmm. to counter what got him hurt in the first place. Another we see pitch. Yeah, we see team we see pitchers do that. They try to change their pitching style. Look at look at CC Sabathia towards the end of his career when he had all those injuries. He became more of a finesse pitcher later in his career after he was one of the hardest throwers in the league in his peak. Yep. So maybe Zach Britton does something similar where teams get caught off guard with that. It's so fun to watch, you know, the different players that get called up, the different players that are, you know, obviously playing the way they have throughout the season for the Yankees, but they're not going to win every game. Right. They're just not. And, and, and right now, the, the, the hot team in New York is the Mets. They're, they're the hot team. They're the ones that are playing very well. I mean, I think in the last 13 games, I think they've won eight of them. I mean, they've played as good of, you know, baseball as you possibly can. And that has a lot to do with Jacob to Jacob DeGrom's return. And I told everybody, and I, you know, I hear all these Met fans saying, I don't want to extend him. Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher in baseball. It's not even an argument. Anybody that's going to say, Jacob DeGrom came back from all those injuries and still is dominant. Mm-hmm. He's still a dominant Hasn't pitcher. Hasn't missed a beat. It's unbelievable how good he really is. It's like, and, and not only is he a power pitcher, he's a finesse pitcher. He can throw a curveball. He can, he can throw a slider. I mean, the guy is a tremendous, tremendous talent. And, and you want to know something? The Mets would be dumb because he's going to opt out of the contract. There'll be teams lining up for him. They don't care about his injuries mm-hmm. because when he does play, he wins. Yep. Or he's, he, he, he doesn't give up more than one run. Yep. It's unbelievable. It really is. He, he's, he's insane. And, yeah. and and if he were to retire right now, I don't care what his record is. He's a Hall of Famer. Well, yeah, rec- record, I hope, would not be an indicator of that based on how little run support he got in his career, the la- especially the last three years. But, yeah, the, the Baseball Hall of Fame is better at looking at those as not being as big of starting pitching indicators. But, yeah, Jacob DeGrom's even going uh, going – even with those 76 pitch limits that he's had the first couple games, I think the first start he had 72, he's still really powerful all the way to the end, too. It doesn't seem like he's losing velocity. It doesn't seem like he's losing a lot with his location either. And there was, I think he's only had one really bad inning so far, the fourth inning in his first start against the Braves. And that's really been it so far. Like, that's how dominant he's been right out of the gate, too. Now, we'll see on the length later on, but they'll ease him fine. back in where he could pitch seven innings. He'll again. be fine. And that's and what they'll need him to be for the postseason. He'll be fine. And Max Scherzer's been unbelievable, too. I mean, we expected this. I, I told Met fans that they, they have two dominant pitchers, you know, top five pitchers in the league. And they're going to play a big part. But if I was a Met fan and I sit and I listen to Josh and say, oh, you know, uh, coaching staff and, and obviously uh, management decided not to go after a big name, they went after Juan Soto. The Nationals were not trading Juan Soto in a division you know, in, in their division where they have to see him 17 times. Mm-hmm. Not only that, you're, you're in a rivalry, in a like bidding war of like the Padres, what they gave up, which was a lot to begin with, which we expected. 
the Mets were going to have to like probably double that in order to get him at that point. So it would it was going to be very difficult considering what the Padres offered because Mackenzie Gore, C.J. Abrams were all t- first round picks, top prospects, and then you got the first and third best in their prospect system right now, their farm system right now. The Mets would have had to do guys currently on their roster plus Alvarez and Beatty to make that work, and maybe one more. And final story of the night. And by the way, I will be here on Thursday, but I'll be a little bit later. Josh is filling in me with me. Um, Josh is filling in for me for the first hour and a half, and then I'll be back the last hour and a half to finish the show. So, um, so I will be here. I, I just won't be here for the beginning of the show because I'm taking care of an event that I'm going to be hosting. Um, Chris Sale breaks his wrist. Biking accident likely done for the season. This is not a big story because the Red Sox aren't making the playoffs. But I, I think the Red Sox are going to have to really think real hard what they're doing with Chris Sale going into the offseason. Chris Sale got the extension, what, two years ago? Mm-hmm. He has not stayed healthy. Everybody said that throwing motion was going to affect his arm as he got older. It has. He's making a lot of money. If, if I were the, the Boston Red Sox, as soon as I know that he is 100% healthy going into next year, I would move him. That's all I'm going to say about that. There's really nothing else more to say. Here's the other thing, too. If you know, if you're Chris Sale and you know that you're dealing with all these injuries and you're trying to get back, you, you, we were talking about it last week or a couple of weeks ago with that, uh, when he had that minor league rehab start and he punched the wall or whatever it was, and he came back for a couple starts and got hurt again. <laughs> what are you doing at a biking? Like it was a dirt bike, too. Like What are you doing with all that right now as you're trying to work your way back? I mean, are you trying to retire? Are you trying to not play in the major leagues just to collect your money at this point? Yeah, you might be right. The Red I don't know what the, the price will be for the Red Sox at this point with all the injuries he's gone through. They're not going to give up. They're, they're not, not going to get much. much. They're not going to get much at this point. So I don't but know. They, they need to get rid of that contract. They might just, uh, they, yeah, they might have to try something at this point. I don't know. It's going to be very difficult for that kind of thing. The Red Sox finally were able to finally purge off a lot of the other bad contracts they had from three, four years ago. Finally, just now. I don't know if there's any of those left, but yeah, they're, they're paying a lot right now. And they're, if they, if they want to pay Devers and they want to pay, if they have any shot of even paying both. Bogarts, if there's a small chance, they're going to have to try something to move that contract, but they're not going to get much. I'd like to thank, uh, obviously, Mark Patterson for joining us today uh, early in the show at 930. He was fantastic, uh, former receiver, Emmy Award winner uh, for searching for the, the summit. He was fantastic. He really was. Definitely we will get him on, and I'll talk to him off air. Air And uh, I'd like to thank Kevin Ray, the voice of the Suns and the Cowboys. He was fantastic as well. Thank you for Jeff. Thank you for... Uh, you know, all the craziness with uh, Kenny and uh, the B for calling the show. We really appreciate all the fans that stay tuned and listen to the show and give us uh, their takes of what's, what they believe is going on in sports. Uh, thank you to everybody that really supports what we do here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network and, and how far and, and we're going to go in the future. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll be back on Thursday at 9 p.m. I'll be back on Thursday at 10.30 p.m., 10.45 p.m. Uh, after the event that I'll be hosting. So, um, that's it. Uh, Speedy, you have anything to say before we go? Uh, no, I do not. Happy birthday to your grandmother, yes, uh, by the way. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yep, 80th birthday, 8-8 eight, eight for my grandmother. Just don't drink and throw up, okay, grandma? No, no she, doesn't, she doesn't. Not like the speedster. Yeah, that was, that was a bad experience, but I'm much better now, thank you. Congratulations. Um, again, we'll be back Thursday. Good night, everybody. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network.